0: Welcome to episode 40 of the So Video Games Podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. If we're playing it, we will be talking about it. Today, we are recording on July 16th, 2017. My name is Brad Galloway, and I am the editor at GameCritics.com. I'm also 50% of this year's show. With me, as always, is Corey Motley, staff writer at Game Critics. Corey, sir, how you doing? (laughs)
1: <laughs> I am doing pretty well, Brad. How are things for you?
0: Man, it has been one hell of a weekend, and I made myself a really, really
1: big cup of coffee to get through this show. That's <laughs> that's how I'm doing right now, brother. That's how I'm doing. Do you have, like, a full cup of sugar in your coffee? Actually, maybe we should talk about this real quick. How do you drink your coffee? How do you take it, if you will?
0: Well, it all really depends on what kind of coffee it is, because if it's... A, okay, so, all right. I am a kind of person who likes a very dry, non citrusy cup of coffee. So um, it, it's hard to describe this. And I'm not exactly sure which regions I prefer my beans from. And that can't, sounds kind of snooty, right? Like, oh, I, I like specific coffee beans. <laughs> I know that sounds bad, right? But like, there's a lot of really bad coffee in Seattle. The recent trend has been to go very citrus in coffee. And I think it's disgusting. It tastes like piss. It's really acidic. It's gross. <laughs> I don't know why anybody fucking drinks it. And whenever I meet somebody who hates coffee, inevitably that's what they hate. They hate that taste of like the acidic stuff in it. It's really nasty. So I like a very dry cup of coffee. And the only the best way I've found to describe this, it sounds disgusting, but it will make perfect sense to like hardcore coffee drinkers. This is the only way I can describe it. My perfect cup of coffee if you just had it black, would taste the way that an ashtray smells. So I don't know if that makes any sense to people who are not (laughs) hardcore coffee drinkers, but it's flat. It's kind of ashy, smoky, no citrus, no acid, really good cup of coffee. That's my favorite cup of coffee. If I can get those beans, I'll drink it black. Like it's delicious like that. That's my favorite thing, but it's hard to get those beans. So if I don't have those beans and I usually don't, Uh, what I've been doing lately, believe it or not, is like Trader Joe's has a really good, um, instant coffee that comes in little tubes and it has like sugar and cream already added to it. If you take two of those and put those in a cup of coffee, you add a little bit of extra Trader Joe's instant that doesn't come in a tube. And then you add a little bit of extra creamer and you mix that all together. That's my usual cup of coffee this morning. It's pretty hardcore.
1: Okay. So when it comes to coffee, you have... Piss on one hand, and you have cigarettes on the other hand, and you <laughs> prefer the cigarettes.
0: <laughs> I will take the cigarettes every time. I I hate, I hate a hot cup of piss. I really do not like it. Yes.
1: Oh my god. What okay. about you?
0: Do you drink coffee? Or why, what's what's this coffee question about? Are you drinking coffee right now?
1: Uh, I am not. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I don't. Um, I am not. Very much a coffee snob. I grew up drinking, my mom always drank just like she would buy the big, like tins of Folgers coffee whenever I was really young. Oh, yeah. And so she always did Folgers with, um, and we had like a, you know, a coffee maker and uh, and she would put either, let's see, it was either milk or she would do condensed milk in it more often than not. And so whenever I was younger, I would always just put like condensed milk or like, uh, like powdered creamer in it because sometimes she did powdered creamer. Um, and that's just sort of like how I thought you drank coffee. And then as I got a little bit older, maybe like high school age, I started drinking coffee black with sugar, and so that's usually how I do it now, but I, I don't really know a whole lot about coffee, and I, I have graduated to making it in a French press. That's about as snobby as I get. I do like a good um, French press to make coffee in because it's so easy, um, but uh, to be honest with you, my favorite kind of coffee, this is going to make me sound like a basic bitch times a thousand, but my favorite coffee is uh, Target's in-house brand called Archer Farms. Uh, Archer Farms' pumpkin spice coffee that comes out from like August until like December or whenever. It's like limited every year. And I always buy like three bags of it so I can like have it all year round. Um, Oh my God, Becky, you just said pumpkin spice. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. I love, I mean, usually I'm not super big on the pumpkin spice trend, but there's something about Target's Archer Farms pumpkin spice coffee that- is just so good to me. And sometimes like I do about three tablespoons of the coffee in in the French press. And sometimes I'll like add a little bit of cinnamon on top, just like straight from the the cinnamon shaker. And you know, then pour the boiled water in. And that is my perfect cup of coffee. And I, I load it up with sugar too. I usually do like three tablespoons of sugar like per cup of coffee. So it's extremely terrible for me.
0: Whoa, that's, that's a lot of sugar. I mean, I'm, I definitely do cream and sugar. I'll do powdered creamer and sugar. If it's like a if it's a low quality coffee, I'll, I'll definitely dress it up a little bit. But if I'm feeling fancy and if I've got a pretty good blend, I like to also put some chicory in it sometimes. Or sometimes molasses is really good. Um, I do like the condensed milk. That's really good. Uh, that, very, very good. Very good flavor for that. Definitely recommend that. But yeah, I like molasses sometimes. It gives it a really kind of richness. And it's sweet, but it's not too sweet. Uh, really alters the flavor profile, so I would recommend testing that out. It's not for everybody, but for me, once in a while, it's really good. But, uh, yeah, I I go for the ashtray if I can't get the ashtray, cream and sugar usually. So,
1: <laughs> I uh, when, while we're on the molasses topic, real quick, I have to uh, mention that um, I actually I, I'm more of like a beer snob. Like, if I could pick like one drink that I'm snobby about, it's definitely beer. And there's a few kinds of beer that I that I have drank that I like that have like molasses in it or like a molasses-y ingredient. And one of them that I really like is from Founders and it's called um, Founders Curmudgeon Old Ale. And it's brewed with molasses and like some other stuff. And it's got like, it just has a really good thickness. Like it's almost like syrupy when you drink it, which sounds awful, but oh my God, it's so good. I I love that beer so much. So I'm totally, totally with you on the molasses front.
0: Interesting. Interesting. You know, molasses is a really good ingredient. People I've kind of moved away from it in recent years. It's kind of seen as like an old folks kind of uh, ingredient. You don't come across it too often these days. I think it's wonderful stuff. I think uh, people should use it more often. It's really multi-purpose. It's actually got some good uh, minerals and stuff in it too. It's it's sweet. It, it's more of a, a sugar, but it's also got some good stuff in there. It's not, it's not bad for you, so... Anyway, uh, that was an interesting tangent we got off on there for a second. (laughs) Let's get things back on track really quick here. Uh, As listeners know, we usually get the ball rolling with the traditional few minutes of unnecessary banter. Uh, I think we kind of already started with the coffee there. We did. Um, So it's not necessarily game related, uh, as as coffee is not, as the stuff we're about to talk about is not. Uh, But just a heads up for folks who don't want to hear our random hijinks, rants, and recommendations, we put timestamps. I shouldn't say we, it's actually Corey that does it all. Corey does all the hard work. <laughs> Corey's going to put timestamps in the show notes so you can jump ahead and skip it. But why would you want to? Uh, Corey, I think you've got a few housekeeping notes uh, before you get into your banter. You want to um, get that off the table and uh, let people know what's up?
1: Yes, indeed. So um, some light, I feel like we haven't done housekeeping for a little while, but we have some light housekeeping notes this week. Um, first and foremost, um, There has been a flurry of potentially um, incorrect, maybe, information rolling around on the internet um, about the website SoundCloud. And um, we actually, no matter how you listen to the show, if you listen from direct RSS feed to a podcast app or if you listen on, uh, like, Apple's podcast app on the iPhone or something, uh, we actually publish our show directly on SoundCloud before it goes anywhere else. And then SoundCloud pushes our show to every other medium. So uh, last week, a like a news story broke or something that was about how, um, basically SoundCloud is going down and they only have like 50 days left to, you know, before they're like going to be used up all their money and shit. And, and so, you know, a lot of people on the internet were saying, Hey, uh, you know, get your shit off SoundCloud immediately. It, Cause a lot of people, SoundCloud is mostly for music and for music artists and for like DJs and remix artists. But because you can record and publish basically anything on SoundCloud, there's actually a big podcast presence on SoundCloud as well. Um, and so uh I've been researching things because there, there's a chance that in the future we might migrate the show from SoundCloud somewhere else. But of course, SoundCloud issued a statement like two days ago saying that, you know, those reports are false and that they have, you know, plenty of investment and you know, whatever to keep going for a long time. But, you know, on one hand, I want to believe that SoundCloud is going to be sustainable because I've been using SoundCloud for years and I like it. But on the other hand, uh I feel like if like a CEO from SoundCloud issues a statement saying that they're not going under, that's sort of like exactly the kind of thing that a company that is going under would say, you know, so only time will tell how it's going on. But um, just in case we talk about it in the future, there is a slight chance we might end up pulling the show from SoundCloud to somewhere else. Uh, But the good news is that almost every podcast hosting service has some sort of migrating feature where um, you as listeners should not have to do anything. Um, I believe we can just migrate the RSS feed over and it'll keep pushing to however you listen to it. Um, So hopefully that won't be an issue. but we'll we'll cross that bridge when we get there if we do, we'll address it on the show. We'll let everybody know if we're migrating or whatnot. Um, and also, if anybody listens to the show, I know some people listen to the show and actually are podcasters themselves or you know host uh, places um If you have any recommendations on places to host or if you've ever migrated before, uh, please send an email to the show because I would be interested in learning from your experience and knowing uh, a little bit about it because um you know we haven't this is uh Brad and i's first self produced podcast and um and I've never really had to migrate a show before, so hopefully that—hopefully uh, we won't have to. But if we do, then you know we'll be prepared for it. Um, Brad, do you have anyth- anything in response before I jump on to housekeeping number two?
0: Yeah, just so just to recap, uh, at this point we're not moving off of SoundCloud. If we do move off of SoundCloud, hopefully listeners won't have to do anything. But I suppose if there comes a day when all of a sudden our podcast disappears. Um, hopefully that will never happen, but if it does, you can check in with us at uh, gamecritics.com, or I'll probably also post something at sovideogames.com, and we can figure out what's going on. But hopefully that'll be fine, correct? Like it, with everything working out perfectly, they wouldn't
1: have to do anything, right? Yes. Um, if if the podcast hosting services migration features are as good as they say, that I've been looking into, yeah, the listeners should not have to do a thing. We'll just host somewhere else, but. They won't have to like re-find us or resubscribe to us or whatever. It should just be a smooth transition. Sounds excellent. What's the uh, other piece of uh, housekeeping you have, Corey? Uh, the other is I just want to give a short warning that I know sometimes uh, people who listen to the show might listen around their kids or like in the car or. You know, uh, around maybe more sensitive ears. And I just want to give a heads up that we're uh, later in the games discussion in the meat of the show, we're actually going to be talking about a game that features quite a bit of uh, sexual themes and, uh, you know, like kind of like homoerotic sexual themes. So if you are listening to the show right now and that is not something that you want to have discussed in front of, um, you know, your kids or, you know, your husband or your wife or something, then uh, we'll we'll give a brief alert whenever we get there to the game that we're going to talk about. But just heads up, we're going to be talking about some gay shit, some gay sex <laughs> shit later. So <laughs> strap in, guys. <laughs> All right.
0: So that means special attention to Jeroen and Dex and Ben. Hey, guys, I know you're listening. So Jeroen, make sure you check those show notes for the timestamps and please jump ahead past that segment, OK? Because I know... I know you're listening right now, buddy. I know it. And you kids in the back, too. I know you're driving in the car with your dad. So, dad, uh, make sure you jump ahead. Thank you very much. Uh, (laughs) All right. With that said, I think that is all the housekeeping, is it not, sir?
1: That is all the housekeeping.
0: All right. Let's get on with the show. Let's do our regular banter. Corey, what do you have?
1: Uh, I've got a few things. Uh two short things, one long thing. I promise I'm not starting the gay section. We part are starting early. the gay um, shit already. Yes, we are. <laughs> it's starting right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well first uh first things first. Um I uh something kind of weird. Um I don't know if I mentioned this on the show before, maybe not, but um uh, my partner Patrick is going is out on a business trip right now. He actually left this morning. I dropped off at the airport, and he is out of town for not one, not two, not four, but three weeks. So I am home for three weeks with uh basically partnerless, which is kind of good for the show, because that means I can record anytime I want and you know, won't have to worry about disturbing him or anything. Um but uh yeah, that's kind of uh, interesting. I don't actually, I don't know if that's interesting. I don't want to pretend like the stuff that I say is definitely interesting. Um, but what do you, do you have any thoughts about that, Brad? Is it going to be lonely? What are you going to do for three weeks?
0: I mean, I, you know, I don't know
1: about you, but I, I like
0: quiet time, but I don't like to be alone. Um, is that like, are you like a alone guy? Are you okay with that? Or is it going to be, you going to like buy a dog real quick or something to keep you company or what? How's that going <laughs> to well, be for you?
1: The good news is I have two cats so that they are more, you know, they're more than enough to keep me company. I think, um, I like to pretend that I'm, like, kind of a loner and that I can, like, not... You know, I don't have to have, like, people around because I'm pretty introverted by nature, so I don't need to be, like, you know, surrounded by people to feel, like, you know, comfortable or happy or whatever. But in all actuality... um you know, in my head, I'm like, oh yeah, Patrick's out of town. I can like play all the video games I want. I can watch all the TV I want, you know, not as if that's not something I couldn't do while he's here. Cause I can, I just feel like more freedom to do that stuff whenever, you know, I have the house to myself. Um, but honestly in my core and the deepest, darkest part of my heart, I actually get really like, uh, not like lonely, but I just get really like indecisive about things that I want to do while, um, while I'm home alone, because I always do that thing where I'll sit down and I'll be like, oh, cool, like, I've got the house to myself, I can play, like, well, like, I'll play a video game. And then I just sit there and I'm like, well, what do I want to play? Do I want to play this? Or do I want to play that? Or do I want to do this? Or like, earlier today, I needed to go grocery shopping. And I did the same thing where I just sat down and I was like, well, do I want to go grocery shopping here? Or do I want to go to that store all the way across town? Or do I want to go to this store? And it's like, I could just never make up my mind about anything that I want to do. So hopefully... I'm not in for three solid weeks of of that.
0: Dang. So like the next time we record, I'll be like, Corey, what did you
1: do? And you're going to be like, "Uh, I stood in my living room and didn't move from the spot because I couldn't decide what to do. (laughs) I sincerely hope not. But uh, we'll, I don't know, we'll, we'll, I mean, we'll be checking in weekly on my my progress. So uh, hopefully by next week, I will have something maybe exciting that I will have done between now and then. If it gets really bad, just call me on my phone, and I'll be like, "Corey, take three steps forward. Corey, go to the bathroom. Corey, make a sandwich. We'll get you, we'll get you squared away, buddy." Indeed, indeed. Um, the other two uh, two things, uh, another short thing. Um, I actually, one year ago today is the day that I started uh, photographing parkour and like action stuff pretty seriously. So that's kind of a neat little anniversary. But even more exciting than that is that a very sort of timely. I didn't line this up or anything, but um. I posted some of the New York pictures that I took on Facebook because most of the time when I take pictures, you know, I post them on Twitter or Facebook. I have a Flickr page that has like all of my photography on it and stuff like that. And uh, after I posted my New York skyline shots on Facebook, I'm actually selling my very first print for the first time. Oh, uh, excellent. Yeah so a woman that I went to high school with, uh, who is like a music teacher now. And I haven't talked to her like literally since she was a year ahead of me in high school. I don't think I've actually talked to her since she graduated. Um, uh, you know, which is fine. She's still, you know, she's a lovely person. Um, she was great in high school and I'm sure she's still great now, even though I don't talk uh, to her much, but, um, she, she just like, uh, sent me a message and was like, Hey, can I like, do you sell prints? Can I buy a print? You know, I'm interested in one of them. So, um, I'm actually like really excited because like, you know, I do photography a lot, but I'm not like a freelance photographer for hire or anything. Although I'm definitely happy to sell a print, but it's also kind of uh, like logistically frightening for me because it's one of those things where like, I've never sold a print before. So it's like, you know, how do I, you know, how do I choose like where to get it printed? How do I choose, you know, like what, you know, what service to use, um, which luckily I already figured that part out. But more importantly what do I charge for it? It's like, it's kind of like, I mean, I know that you do freelance stuff and you're a freelance writer as well uh, from time to time. And it's like, you know, it's kind of like when you like pitch a piece and you're like, well, how, how, like, it's like your first thing. You're like, well, how much, how much do I charge? Like, how, how much do I value flying to New York, taking pictures, flying home and like spending a while editing them in Lightroom and preparing them? Like, how much is that worth? It's hard to put a dollar amount on it. Oh, it's very
0: tough. That's always one of the toughest parts of being a freelancer. I mean, uh, in my particular line of work, I mean, the easiest way to do it is just to ask people who are doing the same kind of work and see what they're at and get kind of a general feel for it. Um, You know, some people will be high, some people will be low. You kind of put yourself in the middle so you don't want to piss too many people off. But if you're doing something where you just absolutely don't know, I mean, I think, uh, well, I don't know. I mean, selling a print might be kind of tough. I mean, what I would do if I were you is I would, I would look around at photographers in your area and I would pretend like I wanted to buy a print and I would be like, well, how much are you selling your prints for? And I would just like look around like that and kind of like <laughs> ballpark it and just see what happens, see what sticks. If, if you uh, seem like yours are in line with everybody else's, then you're probably fine. And uh, if people like
1: flip the fuck out when they see your prices, then maybe you're too high. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I uh, I did ask uh, one of my a woman who I was on the drumline with in college who is now um, she had, she got her degree in photojournalism and she's like she works for I think a uh, college a community college uh, back around where I grew up um, and I actually did ask her about it because she's sort of like my go-to. Um, Person, Like if I ever have any questions about photography, I always like message her on Facebook and I'm like, hey, it's me again. I know I'm bugging you, but let me ask you this question. And so she's she's never really sold freelance prints either, but she said she would hook me up with some uh, information whenever she has time. So she's very busy, but I look forward to whatever sort of uh, info and charts and graphs and stuff that she sort of sends my way about, about the whole situation. Right on. That's very exciting,
0: dude. Maybe this could be like a new like, you know. Line of work outside of podcast production for you. That'd be pretty cool. And hey, you know, I've seen some of your shots. Some of your stuff's pretty good. I wouldn't mind getting one of those from you. Maybe put it up on my wall.
1: I mean, it'd be an honor. I'd have an original motley up on my wall. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess uh, from this point forward, maybe I should just make the announcement that hey, if anybody wants to buy prints, like, you can buy them. Uh, I'm more than happy to sell to sell stuff to anybody and I did um, I right now I'm linked through a, a professional photography service online where I submit the prints to them and I think they can ship them out to people and they have like, you know like so many different kinds of ways to get stuff printed. like you can obviously just get like like the picture on a photograph and you can get it in like up to like you know 30 different sizes or something, but they also have like, you know, the canvas prints and the wood prints. And they even do like prints on like aluminum sheets where it's like metal prints and all this crap. So yeah, if anybody wants to buy my shit, uh, let me know. And I'd be more than happy to sell it to you. Excellent. Excellent. You know, I don't know very much about photography. I'm not really a photographer. I don't really take
0: a lot of pictures other than just like snapping stuff on my phone. But I know that like trademarking or like, you know, keeping possession of your photos is like a really big deal. So I don't know enough about that. But uh, you know, what I would say is maybe look into that first thing before you start selling stuff because, uh, you know, people gank pictures all the time and you got to protect uh, the work that you're doing. So maybe look into that is your first step.
1: Yeah, that's true. And that's why, um, I mean, I put like all the photos that I release professionally, I put like a little watermark in the bottom left corner, but I know, you know, watermarks mean nothing nowadays because it's so easy to erase them, you know, and get rid of them. But I mean, maybe one day whenever I reach like professional photographer status which probably will never happen i know you can embed like data into the pictures like metadata and then that shows you know like where you know what camera was used you know where it was shot what time of the day and it has all the camera settings and stuff but i don't know if that takes if that has any step toward protecting like the copyrights of the photo that's probably some stuff that i should look into yeah definitely if you're going to start making money people are going to start ripping you off and so <laughs> step number
0: one protect yourself Indeed. Um, interesting stuff. I look forward to hearing more about this. Anything else on your banter, uh, banter tablet this week?
1: Um, I have something that might or might not cross over into your banter too, because yesterday I spent my afternoon seeing Spider Man Homecoming.
0: Oh yeah, that was number one on my list, dude. You want to just tag team this one? Uh sure,
1: yeah. You wanna you wanna take the lead you want to take the lead? Uh why don't why don't you take the lead?
0: Okay. So, all of my banter this week is movie oriented. Um, I'm kind of getting into a new groove as long as my schedule's not disrupted, uh, which uh, this has been kind of a crappy weekend. I had two birthday parties to go to, plus my in laws were in town. So, this was not my usual weekend by any means. And last weekend was like the family reunion. I'm pretty sure that was last weekend, or maybe it was the week before. Whatever the case, (laughs) I have not had full possession of my weekends, and I am feeling it right now. But Uh, When I do get a regular weekend day, uh, my wife and I have kind of gotten in this groove of watching more movies than we usually do, which has been kind of nice. Uh, One of the movies that we saw uh, was Spider-Man Homecoming. I I love the Marvel films. I love Spider-Man, the MCU. Like I'm all about it. So I was definitely excited to see this. And I have not been a real big fan of the previous Spider-Man films. Mm -hmm. So I was really hoping this one would like nail it for me because uh, I thought that Spider-Man's cameo in uh what was it civil war uh was pretty cool that was a good appearance and i was really hoping for the best for this one and i thought it was fantastic i thought it was so good uh in this particular film so this is kind of like a reboot the the previous spider-man films do not apply they're kind of starting over with spider-man so forget those other ones uh but in this this version of spider-man which is now merged with the mcu he is 14 he is a high school student Um, They did not do the whole, oh, Uncle Ben died and I feel guilty. Like, oh, thank God they didn't show that again. They just jumped right into the action. Uh, Tony Stark, a.k.a. Iron Man, is kind of like his mentor, sort of. Hooks him up with a really cool high-tech suit. And he goes toe-to-toe with the Vulture, who is a very uh, old-school, classic Spider-Man villain. But he is radically redesigned. And he looks awesome. He looks awesome in this movie. Super high-tech, like metal wings and a cool flight suit. And he was played by um, Michael Keaton, who I think does a fantastic job. Uh, He really humanizes the vulture big time because basically, I don't want to give everything in the movie away, but he's like basically a guy who gets put out of work. And this is like, you know, becoming the vulture is like his way of just like providing for his family. And he's not doing it because he's like evil. He just is like wants to put food on the table. And then he kind of gets sucked into that whole easy money, you know, life of crime, although nobody's really getting hurt kind of thing. Um, I really loved it. I thought Michael Keaton was great as the vulture. I thought the vulture himself looked awesome. Super cool villain. Spider-Man was fantastic. I mean, his enthusiasm, uh, his youthful energy, uh, hanging out with his best friend who's like this, like, you know, they're both kind of nerds and they just kind of like geek out over him being Spider-Man. I mean, it was just really fun and light and the action was cool and just everything about it was just wonderful. Um, I have more to say, but I've been talking for a bit. Corey, what did you think of Spider-Man?
1: Uh, I thought it was, like, pretty good. Like, I wasn't blown away by it, and I didn't think it was, like, bad or anything. And I'm also not super invested in, like, Spider-Man in general. I've seen the three Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies. I did not see the Amazing Spider-Man movies with uh, Andrew Garfield... But, um, and I'm not, I've only seen like a handful of the MCU movies. I haven't, I'm not one of the people who's seen like all of them in theaters and is totally caught up with everything in the MCU because I'm really hit and miss with superhero movies. Um, But uh, I mean, I thought it was just fine. Like I, I have like some major uh, like suspension of disbelief things. I talk about suspension of disbelief all the time on the show, but like I have some major like suspension of disbelief things going on with with this movie because I do think it's cool that they didn't do a backstory that no part of this movie was about him getting his powers was about him getting bit by the spider like it's very obvious coming into this movie that you know he's had the powers for a little while and he's still like you know kind of figuring them out if you will um but uh uh like one of the things that I don't that I didn't like about the movie was um it, it just seems like after Spider-Man's debut in Captain America's Civil War, where he, like, comes out into the battlefield during the big, like, climactic battle, and he's basically, like, super, like, kicking ass and, like, knows what he's doing and basically has, like, full control of all of his powers. And then you get to this movie, which is very clearly set after Civil War, and he's kind of just, like, stumbling around like an idiot for most of the movie. Like, most of the problems in the movie are problems that he creates for himself, And he's, like, trying to come to grips with, like, the suit and his powers and, like, what he's doing, but yet he's already, like, shown them off really professionally in the movie beforehand. And I just felt like the, like, the story as a whole, like, the meta story over everything wasn't really, or, like, the macro-level story wasn't really that well done. Because, like, you know, Michael Keaton, like you said, he, he, like... That The point of the story is that he is cleaning up, like, an Avengers mess, or, like, the Avengers Initiative Tower or whatever. I'm sure it's tied into one of the other movies that I probably haven't seen. And he discovers his, like, cleanup crew of construction dudes, they discover, like, some of the alien material that's left over. And... Um, Tony Stark, like, rents a different contracting company to come in and basically take over the whole thing, so it puts his, like, you know, like, working man, uh, like, group out of work, but they decide to steal a bunch of the alien material and start making these, like, weapons and stuff with the alien material and selling them to gangs in order for him to provide for his family, um and but the movie like it like tries to make a statement it like acts like it's going to make a statement about like blue collar versus white collar and you know like working class you know versus like the billionaire class because obviously tony stark is like the richest man like probably in the MCU but then it just like doesn't go anywhere like it doesn't really make a statement like it's kind of like my problem with I feel like the Marvel Universe overall is that it like it's afraid to do anything that's truly daring or truly different or make any statements because if they make any statements then like somebody's going to get offended and nobody's going to want to go see the movies or something like that and so they're like too afraid to like really like say anything um Because I would love for, you know, Spider-Man to be like black or Spider-Man, like be like Miles Morales or Spider-Man to be like gay. Like I know Andrew Garfield lobbied for a little while in the uh, Amazing Spider-Man movies to make him gay in those movies. But it's like one of those things where, you know, they just like won't do it because it'll be too quote unquote controversial. And I just felt like the story didn't really like, just like the whole like blue collar versus white collar thing. And the fact that. Spider-Man is now like a lackey for Tony Stark who's like a billionaire and basically like gives him all of these powers with this big suit. I feel like it doesn't really put a lot of focus on Spider-Man like getting any character development. It's just like, oh, you have some powers, but here's a suit that gives you like 90% of your abilities that Tony Stark made for you. And yet you're 15 and can like somehow back hack the suit with your nerd friend. Like there's just like so much about it that didn't really make sense to me that I had to spend a lot of dil- disbelief for. But despite all the bitching that I just did, I think it's a good movie, but I don't think it's amazing or fantastic or incredible or any of those other words
0: all right all right so uh to re to follow up to to rebut a a bit um i think uh i think it's interesting in that it just even showed like the vultures side of things because we've all we've seen so far in the movies is like tony stark stark enterprises i mean i'm the mcu guy like i've seen all the movies in the theater i've caught up on everything so i i definitely like am way more invested in this and so I I I feel like them even showing his side of it was like really cool. Um, I don't know that what kind of a statement they could have made. I mean, I think just just even having him be there and representing his side. And honestly, like, I didn't even think he was really even that bad of a guy. Like, I mean, yeah, he was going to kill some people when he finally got pushed to the edge, but in general, he just wanted to like do his business, you know? Like, I mean, yeah, he was a gunrunner or whatever, but you know, we've seen way worse dudes than that in the MCU. And I think it was really easy to feel for him. So even even having that I felt like was a pretty good move. As far as Spider-Man's character, I felt like just kind of rebooting Spider-Man was pretty important and seeing him as a kid uh, and just seeing his development of like, you know, maybe not wanting to be the hero that he thought he wanted to be in the beginning and maybe just focusing more on his life and, and living like a normal person for a while while he's able to, I think was kind of the big takeaway for me. So I really like that a lot. Also. Um, I did really like, oh, and also Peter Parker is like a genius. Like they don't really, I mean, they kind of allude to that because he's on like the the factoid team or whatever the fuck it's called, His, the smart guy, you know, whatever that is. I don't know what that is. I was not on that team. The academic decathlon. Yeah, team. yeah, yeah. I think. He was like, you know, he was like, he was like the uh, the anchor for the team. Everybody was pissed when he didn't want to be on the team. He's always been a real genius kind of guy, like a brilliant inventor. I don't know if he's one of the smartest people in the MCU, but he's definitely like on the genius scale. So like for him to be able to backhack that stuff, that, that didn't seem like too much of a leap for me because he is actually genuinely like brilliant on top of being Spider-Man. He was already brilliant. Um, but one thing that I wanna, I wanna address also, okay, a couple things. First thing, I think <laughs> this is like the first round of the MCU and I'm really looking forward to what happens in the second round. When they cap all this stuff off with um, the Infinity War, which is coming up, I think next year, that's like where all the Infinity Gem stuff, that's been, it's been the thread throughout all the movies. When that thing wraps up, Um, They're going to be starting like a round two. And that is when Marvel is supposed to be bringing out all like like the even more diverse characters. Like I believe they're going to be introducing Miles Morales. Uh, So one of the things that you that nobody would have caught is that when Spider-Man was uh, talking to that that guy who was from Community, I forget, was Donald Glover is his name. Yeah. 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 So he mentions his cousins in that area. His cousin is Miles Morales. So he's alluding to the fact that his cousin is in the area. And I've heard that they're going to talk about introducing Miles in like the second round of, of movies. Um, I think they're also going to be introducing Captain Marvel, who's a female superhero. They may be introducing uh, Kamala Khan, who is a Muslim uh, superhero. So I think those guys are waiting in the wings. I think they got their, their base really well entrenched with like all the classic, you know, Thor, Captain America, Hulk. And I feel like they're going to branch out. And I think that's really um, a smart move. Because the thing that really struck me about Spider-Man was how diverse it was how everybody, I mean, there was like tons of different ethnicities shown on screen. Uh, there was different body shapes shown on screen. I mean, Peter Parker was going after a girl who was black and Mary Jane in the, in the film is actually black as well. That was pretty controversial when the film was first announced. Um, his best friend is like, you know, I think he's like Filipino or something. I mean, like everybody in, in the school was like of a different color. And I thought that was awesome. And it was interesting to me because... People in Hollywood don't do things unless they know the audience wants them. Like, they are very audience-driven. They're very driven towards delivering what people want. And so I found it fascinating that that was the picture they were painting of, like, you know, like, really diverse people. I thought there were some suggestions of being sexually diverse. I mean, like, different ethnicities and stuff they wouldn't do that if people didn't want it. And so that was very interesting because when you contrast that with the current state of politics, not to get too deep into politics, that is like the opposite of what American politics wants right now. And so I found that dichotomy really, really interesting to where on the one hand in real life, we've got a bunch of uh, fucking asshole rich white men doing something that most of America seems to have a real big problem with. And then here's the MCU presenting what I think is kind of like an idealistic view of what America would be. So I found that contrast... Really, really fascinating. I was really heartened to see that. So that was another uh, really big takeaway. But overall, I thought that movie was great. I really liked it. Liked it a lot more than the previous Spider-Man movies. And I think that the actor do you know what his name is? The actor who does Spider-Man? Tom Holland. Yeah, he did a great job. I thought it was great. The only thing that was really weird to me, uh, was that they kept saying that his Aunt May, who was played by Marissa Tomei, was like this really hot Italian lady and like I'm sorry. She just looks like really old and skinny. Like she wasn't really, she was not hot. I'm like, maybe somebody finds her hot. Why do they keep trying to say she's so hot? That was really weird to me. That was a very, that to me was suspension of disbelief. That was a thing I couldn't get past. But. Oh jeez. <laughs> anyway, I thought Spider-Man Homecoming was fantastic. I really loved it. Um, next, let's have another, let's have another movie debate here. Um, I really hope you put the, uh, the, uh, timestamps in cause we're going to be here for a little while, I think. Oh God. Uh, I saw Lucy over the weekend. I know you've seen this. I know you're a Hi, ScarJo yes. fan. I know you're a ScarJo uh, fan. My wife has been wanting to see this forever. I don't know why. Something about this movie just really triggered her and she wanted to see it, triggered her in a good way. Um... <laughs> because it wouldn't make sense if it was in a bad way. <laughs> but it was on iTunes. It was only for purchase for like the longest time. And she would check back like every couple months. And it was like for purchase only. For... And I'm like, we don't want to buy it. I mean, it was like, so it's already been out for like three or four years by this point. It was finally up for rent. And we're like, oh, okay, cool. Let's watch it. Um, I don't know if we've talked about it before, but this stars Scarlett Johansson. And she is a lady who gets wrapped up in this illegal drug ring accidentally. These guys stuff a bag full of, like, weird drugs inside of her. The bag leaks. And she, like, gains this, like, I don't know, like, whatever weird <laughs> It's hard to even describe it. This power that, like, unlocks her entire brain. Because, you know, people say that humans only use 10% of their brain. So she eventually gets to, like, 100%. Um Really weird movie, and about halfway through the movie, my wife looks at me and she's like, "I'm sorry, we shouldn't have rented this." And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, "Oh no, it's okay, it's okay," because it seems like from the trailers it's going to be like an action kick-ass movie, but it actually—it is not that. Yeah, it's it not, is not it, that. It felt to me like the director thought he was a really smart guy and it started to get really philosophical it almost felt like a documentary to me in some ways i mean what i know you've seen this before we've talked about it before but refresh my memory what did you think of this film Corey?
1: Uh, well first of all do you know who directed it <laughs> Yeah, it was Luc Besson, right? Yeah, yeah, Luc Besson. So... Only, only a Frenchman would direct some shit like this. <laughs> and it did, I mean, this movie, like most movies that he makes, made like an ass load of money in France and in China. This movie banked so hard overseas, um, which is cool. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I kind of had a very similar takeaway. Like, I watched this leading up to Ghost in the Shell. Like, I was trying to, like, binge the Ghost in the Shell anime and binge, like, Scarlett Johansson stuff and, like, merge them whenever I saw the live-action Ghost in the Shell. And I totally thought this was going to be... Because I talked about this on the show, like, a while ago. I totally thought it was going to be, like, Scarlett Johansson kicking major ass. Like, that's what the movie is basically billed as. It's like, she gets superpowers, she kicks a bunch of ass, and then the movie's over. But she literally fights like one guy in the whole movie. And it's like right after she gets her superpowers and it's like a four second fight. And I mean, yeah, she's like, she's like a bad bitch in the movie and she's like calm and controlled and collected for most of it. And like always knows how to call the shots and knows what's going on, but she doesn't even do anything. I mean, I like her and I like the character, but like, I feel like I was sold a movie and what I saw was a completely different movie. Yeah, I agree. The trailer made it look way more actiony than it actually was. It really,
0: it, it really felt like a philosophical movie, and it really felt like about the director saying, "Hey, we're not clued into what reality really is. You don't really understand what existence is." This, I mean, talk about suspension of disbelief. This movie, like every bit of this movie, was like way beyond my suspension of disbelief, yeah. and it starts with the basic premise where. Morgan Freeman is kind of giving this talk and he's like, oh, hey, humans only use 10%. Wouldn't it be amazing if we could use the other 90%? And then he's like, but look at dolphins. Dolphins use 20% and they can use echolocation. Therefore, therefore, if we could get to like 40%, we could control matter. And I'm like, what? Just because dolphins can hear themselves talking underwater, that does not mean we would be able to control atoms and like become invisible and like what the fuck ever? I'm like, it was just this giant leap in logic. It made no sense. Um, and I get the whole thing about, you know, we are one with the universe. Like, yeah, peace, love, understanding, all that bullshit. That's fine. But like, I just, I just felt like I was looking at this weird ass documentary that actually had no facts in it. And I was just being preached to you the whole time. It was a bizarre fucking movie. Really, really bizarre. <laughs> I, I, I don't like regret watching it. But I would never recommend it to anybody, and I would never watch it again. So
1: I don't know what that really means. I mean, what what was your final <laughs> takeaway on it, dude? I mean, I... Uh, gosh, like... I mean, it has some interesting scenes and, like, some thoughtful stuff going on, but... I don't know if I would recommend it either. I mean, I would only recommend it under the pretense that you go in knowing that it is not what it looks like, that it's not an action movie. It's not about Scarlett Johansson, like, fighting and shooting a bunch of dudes. Like, that's totally not what it's about. But I mean, there's some interesting stuff in it, but it's just not, it's totally, like, not the movie that was advertised. Yeah, for sure. It was a weird fucking movie. And I like weird movies, but this one was
0: weird, just, like, not quite in the right way for me. So, anyway. (laughs) bizarre shit, wasn't worth the three-year wait. Um, yeah, anyway. Uh, the final movie I want to talk about just real briefly is a Netflix original. It's called I Don't Feel at Home in This World Anymore. Have you heard of this, seen it?
1: Uh, I have not heard of this, but it totally sounds like the kind of movie that you would watch. Exactly, exactly. This was a, so like I said, Netflix
0: original. It stars um, a lady, and i forgot forgotten her name. I really apologize, uh, but she was really <laughs> good in it. Also, Elijah Wood. Uh basically the premise is there's this woman who's feeling very like disaffected in this small middle America town. Her house gets robbed and it just kind of like it really bums her out that it seems like everybody in the world is like an asshole. Like, you know, somebody stole her stuff. You know, she goes to the police and the police like totally blow her off. She goes to the store and like somebody cuts in front of her in line. She's driving, somebody like, you know, cuts her off on the road. And it just it's she's just it's all of a sudden realizing that like everybody's acting like a fucking asshole. <laughs> and why is everybody being so rude and mean and we don't have to be this way, right? So, like, she wants to get, uh, she wants to make a change. And so she wants to, like, take charge and she wants to get her stuff back that was stolen. So she figures out where the stuff is and she goes with Elijah Wood, who is, like, her na- her crazy neighbor. He's, like, this weird, like, uber loner nerd guy who, like, he's the kind of guy, like, when you go over to his house, he has, like, no friends, but he has, like, a bunch of porn and, like, a bunch of samurai swords that he bought at Hot Topic on his wall. <laughs> Like, he's that guy. He does a fucking great job. Like, you totally believe him. Like, you see this guy, you're like, oh, I know this guy. I went to high school with this guy. I know who this guy is. Like, it makes perfect sense. He does a great job. Anyway, um, a whole bunch of hijinks ensue. Things happen. um, And she eventually, like, gets her stuff back. But it's really just about, like, recognizing the fact that the world doesn't have to be awful. People don't have to be awful. We simply choose to be that way. And if we all would stop it would just be a better place. And why don't we all stop? You know, I mean, it wasn't as preachy as I'm making it sound because it was actually a really good movie. I thought it was very entertaining. A lot of funny stuff happens. Uh, There's actually quite a bit of bloodshed too. Like it was way bloodier than I thought it was going to be. A lot of people die in this movie, but uh, it's not what it looks like, but it actually was really good. So I would very much recommend this to anybody who's feeling like the world is a shitty place right now. And if you don't feel at home in the world anymore, if you don't feel at home in the United States right now, which is probably a lot of you, I would definitely recommend this film. So I I thought it was very good. It really spoke to me about current issues going on. And I think in general, it was just a really fucking funny, well done movie. Really good stuff. Liked it a lot.
1: I say you should go watch it, Corey. You got three weeks. You should go watch this. I know. I actually... uh... Uh, on the topic of watching movies, um, every time Game of Thrones starts up again, Patrick uh, resubscribes to HBO Go or HBO Now or whatever one of the fifty confusing HBO apps there are out there, and um, they have a bunch, of, you know, like streaming movies that you can't find anywhere else, and they have all their, you know, TV shows and everything. And I was actually giving a lot of thought to while he's out of town trying to watch, like, I, this is never going to happen. It's just something that I'm thinking about doing, um, that I'm going to fail at trying to watch like one movie a day or watch like a few episodes of like a TV show a day. Cause like, I, I've been interested in watching Westworld and it's like an HBO exclusive. Um, but I haven't. And I was like, well, we have HBO now. So like, I would be interested in watching that. I also kind of want to finish the show girls cause I've seen like half of the series, um, and I I love season one. I think season one is like masterful TV filmmaking, and season two is like all right. And season three just kind of gets worse. And I was and but I'm thinking like, well, maybe like I'll just watch the rest of it just to see because it's only like 25 minute episodes. But I don't know. We'll see. I have plenty of free time, so maybe I will fit in some movies while uh, while Patrick's out of town. You should do that. That's
0: a great time to catch up on stuff that maybe he doesn't want to watch with you, or something that you're not sure about. I mean, sometimes. I'll watch a show on my own if I don't want to watch it with my wife. Because I don't want to, like, watch a dud with her. Because then I'm embarrassed that I pick some stupid show, right? So, like, <laughs> test it out on my own first. And if it passes my, you know, my approval, then I'm like, all right, honey, you can take some of your time. And we can sit down and watch this together. So, give it. you know, I, have I talked about Eyes on in the show before? I feel like I have. Have I talked about that? Uh, Eyes on Me? Yeah. Have I never talked about that? I don't think so. Oh, so maybe this is something you might want to consider. I don't know if it's your jam or not. But Eyes on is a show I love. I and mean, This is going to be my last thing. I know we're talking like a million
1: years Oh, ago. okay. I thought... I'm an idiot. I thought you said eyes on me. Oh, I, t- oh, I totally <laughs> no, know what a zombie is. Yeah, it's like the detective yeah. show where she's the zombie. Yeah. I've never seen it, but I know what it is. Oh my God, I love
0: that show so much. You should try watching the first like three episodes. The first one is a little bit rough. The second one, everybody's finding their feet. And by like the third episode, they've gotten into a groove. Uh, it's just just really quick. It's about a woman who becomes a zombie. But if she eats brains, she retains her humanity and she helps like solve crimes. And uh, it sounds kind of dumb, but the show is really smart. (laughs) It's really funny. The cast is perfect. I love that show so much. It is like one of the best shows on TV right now. So maybe check that out. Check out iZombie. Maybe watch the first couple.
1: I will have to add that to my list Two Girls into Westworld and to Castlevania. I have not watched, but I'm going oh, to watch it with Patrick's Oh, Castlevania. On, you so. got to watch
0: Castlevania. So I know, good, I know. Dude. It's on
1: my queue. I'm going to oh, watch it. Um, and it's perfect because Patrick's out of town and I know for a fact he would not want to watch that with me. So I am going to watch it soon. All right. We will check back next week. We spent way longer in banter than we probably should have.
0: <laughs> but that's what the timestamps are for. Uh, let's be done with banter and let's move on to the main event. Games chat. Corey. Corey Motley, Corey Motley, what have you
1: been playing? I have been playing uh, not very much because I've only played this game for like 30 minutes. So consider this a very, very first impressions-y take on this game. But I've been playing Adrift, which is made by 310 and published by 505 Games. I can't help but wonder if they like did that on purpose, like 310... 505 um it came out on pc in march of 2016 it came to ps4 july of 2016 and it was on a playstation sale playstation's been having a shitload of sales lately and i picked this up for like three dollars a few weeks ago um i I had always kind of had my eye on it uh but i'd never played it because it was always like twenty dollars or something and i wasn't going to spend that much on it but adrift is basically a first person uh i guess kind of narrative adventure game kind of um where you are on a space station or like a spaceship or something and you basically wake up in your spacesuit, and like part of the space station has like ruptured and you have to like float through it like it's all zero gravity or at least it is so far you have to like float through the the debris of the station and around the the station stuff and the the ships and try to like figure out what happened and what's going on and i'm assuming like Maybe how to like get home or something. I don't really know what the point of the game is yet because it hasn't like given that like you know sort of like Z problem that you're trying to solve. Um, But uh, but I mean it's it's like fine so far I guess like you're just floating around. It reminds me a lot of I know this came way later but Prey that came out earlier this year because Prey has a bunch of zero gravity segments where you're like outside of the Talos 1 space station and you're like floating around and, you know, trying to get to other parts of the space station. And it reminds me a lot of that because it's just like zero grav, like, you know, floating around. And you have kind of a short um, oxygen tank. So there's like oxygen tank, like little chests that are sort of like spaced out pretty regularly. So you have to like get to them and then you can grab them out of the air and like plug them into your suit and it re-ups your oxygen and you have like little boosters and you can rotate and... The controls are pretty good. I mean, I kind of wish it had the exact same controls as Prey because I'm just used to those for zero grav, but the controls are fine enough. I mean, you have like one button that boosts you, one button, you hold both uh, triggers to stop you, like L1 rotates you left, R1 rotates you right. And it's, it's done cleverly in a way to where the shoulder buttons are most of like the movement, like the boosting and the braking and the rolling. So that way it leaves both of your thumbs free for like, you know, spinning around in the air and kind of navigating and trying to, you know, look at doors and stuff as you're moving. it's It's got a good uh, control design. Um, I don't really know what, what else to say about it. I've only played it for like a half hour. I'm definitely going to play it more. Um, it's not like amazing so far, but it's just, I mean, I haven't played it enough to really grasp like a lot about it.
0: I was looking at this a while ago. It seemed interesting. Um, I'm not super into like the walking sims, or I guess the floating sims would be more appropriate <laughs> for this one. Uh, but it did look, you know, like, I don't know, the idea of being stuck in, you know, a wrecked spaceship, you know, you got to just do what you can to get back home if that's the, if that's actually the goal or I mean, it seems like it would be ostensibly, but who knows. Uh, but the thing that held me back was that Dan Weissenberger at Game Critics uh, wrote the review for this one, And if I recall correctly, he thought it was okay, except for at one point he mentioned that there was like a lot of backtracking and a lot of being lost uh, and like, you know, looking for the oxygen. And like just that was like really a big turnoff to me, like the idea of like not knowing where to go or having to search really far to figure out what's up and like, you know, constantly being paranoid about your oxygen. I I mean, that was his take, if I remember correctly. And that just was like, I don't like any of those things. I don't like being timed. I don't like air limits. I don't like losing my way. So I kind of held off, even though I did see it for sale on three bucks and I was tempted, but it was like, dude, I've got so many things to play already. I'm like so far behind. Am I really going to play this thing that probably is going to be more annoying than anything else? So I passed on it, but I would be interested in hearing more. I mean, so basically what, are you listening to audio logs though? Or like a million audio logs so far?
1: There are some audio logs, which I mean, is kind of a downer. The weird thing about the audio logs is like, you can, like, float into other astronauts' quarters. And as of now, since I've been playing the game, I haven't encountered, like, any other life. It's just, like, me on the station so far. But you can, like, float into people's quarters, and you, like, log into their computers. Or sometimes you pick up, like, little handheld PDAs that are floating around in the area, and you can listen to their audio logs. And on one hand, like the oxygen doesn't run out when you're listening to audio logs, which is, like, kind of nice because it would be shitty if you were, like, trying to, like, float around to find oxygen while you're trying to listen to audio logs. But on the other hand, it's, like, kind of silly. Like, oh, because that's, like, the biggest threat in the game is running out of oxygen. But, like, if you stop to listen to an audio log, then suddenly the threat goes away. But I've only seen, like, one person's audio log so far, and it's some dude who's, like, complaining. He's, like, the classic, like, oh, I took one last job on the space station so that I could provide for my wife and kids. And it's like, and he's just like bitching in his audio logs. And I'm just like, dude, like it's, you know, you're a fucking astronaut. It's not like you're taking a job fixing some guy's car down the street. Like if you are really like bred and schooled and, you know, uh, determined to be an astronaut. I feel like this isn't the kind of thing that you just like very offhand complain and get like mad about, but who knows, maybe this game secretly takes place like 2000 years in the future. And like everybody is an astronaut and this is just like no big deal to go up into space, but I haven't really made it that far yet to see, to like dig into the story.
0: Well, keep me posted that. I think that now that we're talking about it, that was the other thing that kind of warned me off of it was because I am done with audio logs, dude. it's, <laughs> It is tired. It is old. It is stupid. It doesn't make sense. I mean, there are very, very few games where I really feel like audiologues make sense. And I just feel like it's the laziest fucking storytelling. Instead of people um, incorporating that into their environments or finding some other clever way to tell a story uh, through action, um, it's just like, you know, finding some fucking note, reading a fucking email, uh, you know, listening to some voice message. Like, it's all crap. Like, I'm, I'm done with that. So I, hearing that that was like what you did a lot of like like you're making sure you don't suffocate and you're listening to audio logs like neither one of those things is something I like to do so I yeah fuck it I'm not gonna play this game but you can tell me <laughs> if it's good or not even if it's good I'm still not gonna play it but you know you can you can keep us posted any other further thoughts on Adrift or or is that pretty much it for now?
1: Uh that's pretty much it. I mean. It's fine so far, but there's a very good chance that when I get deeper in, it could either get great or it could get terrible. So I will keep you posted. All right. Fair enough. And
0: it's actually um, kind of apropos that you played Adrift for just a short time, because the game that I'm going to talk about next, I also played for a very short time. Uh, This is a title called Wheels of Aurelia, A-U-R-E-L-I-A, Wheels of Aurelia, Uh, Developed and published by Santa Ragione, I guess. Uh, Thank you for the notes, by the way. Uh, Mm -hmm. Published on PC September 20th, 2016. Came to Xbox One and PS4 October 5th, 2016. Uh, Also, another narrative game. Uh, I had heard about this one and people were telling me it was a very neat little indie project. Basically, what I knew about it was that it was about uh, people having a conversation while they're driving on the Italian coast. That seemed pretty interesting to me, very different off the beaten path. And I'm down for those sort of things. And that's basically what it is. But nobody told me like how shit it was because it's really bad. (laughs) It's really bad. Um, I think I ended up buying it for like 99 cents, which is what finally got me to pull the trigger on it. And I could have easily skipped it. So what happens is you start the game as a woman named Lella and she's driving in a car. You can pick whatever car out of, out of like four different ones to choose from, you can choose a color or whatever. It's no big deal. A car doesn't do anything. You just get in this car and you're driving on this road and the graphics are busted ass, like basic. Like the houses are literally like a box with a little cutout for a window and like a, just a flat sheet for a roof. Like it looks like, um, like Monopoly. When you're playing Monopoly, those little plastic houses in Monopoly, it looks like that. Like the ground is like a flat shade. The water is like a flat shade. Like it just looks like just... Like my first video game, you know, like somebody was in a game jam, and this is what they busted out in like an hour. Uh, It does not look good. Um, There's a bunch of hand-drawn art for your character and other characters you meet. The hand-drawn art is okay. It's it's pretty stylish. It's definitely got kind of a European slant to it. Um, But as you're driving, uh, and okay, so let me back up. You don't actually drive. The car moves along a road. You don't have to do anything. That car will just drive on that road, and all you have to really do is select a dialogue option when it pops up. If you want, you can speed up the car, although it doesn't really get faster. Just like these little whoosh lines appear behind it, (laughs) which is like really, really weird. I was expecting to go fast. I mean, maybe you do go faster. It was like imperceptibly faster. And then you can crash into things. So I got so bored playing this. I'm like, well, I'm going to fuck these guys up. I'm going to drive off the road. You can't drive off the road. And I'm like, well, I'm going to crash into these oncoming cars. Nothing happens. Like you hit the car. It bumps. I try to turn myself backwards to go backwards the other way. And you just keep moving forward all the time. It's like your car is on a rail and the rail is constantly moving forward. You can't really do anything. The driving doesn't do anything. Um, The only way that you can affect the driving is if you choose to pull over for hitchhikers or not. That's all you can do. So you're driving along with your friend and it's just like these really weird like uh, non sequitur conversations pop up and you don't really have a lot of choices, usually two or three choices. And it doesn't really seem to mean a whole lot. Like in, in the beginning, my character's like, boy, should I quit smoking? And I'm like, well, uh, you know, in my head, I'm thinking, well, yeah, sure. smoking's bad for you. And I'm not a smoker. So yeah, let's quit smoking. And the, the answers are like, no, I'm not going to quit smoking or yes, I'll quit smoking in another lifetime. So it's like why the fuck are you asking me? She's not gonna quit smoking either way, so why are you giving me the choice, right? It's just you're appearing to give me a choice. Like it she doesn't actually change anything. And then you pick up your friend, your friend's like, Hey, I'm pregnant. Uh gonna get an abortion, can we go to, to France? And you're like, Cool. And like you just talk about it. Like and it's not even like a really deep discussion, it's just like, Hey, you're driving too fast, you're making me sick. Oh, you're pregnant, sorry. Da da, 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 da. And you just keep driving, like it's dumb! Like the the conversations are so stupid. <laughs> this guy i pulled over for a hitchhiker just to see like what would happen because i was really fucking bored and this guy gets in and he's like hey i love soccer and your character's like yeah where are you from and he's like i'm from soccer town and she's like cool like i mean whatever there was names i don't remember the fucking name is but it's like so what like so what This guy, you have a conversation about this favorite soccer team, and he gets out. Who cares? It doesn't mean anything. It didn't (laughs) add to anything. This other guy gets in. He starts talking about UFOs. He's like, oh, have you seen the Pope driving a UFO? And you're like, no. And he's like, okay, bye, later. And he, like, leaves. And I'm like, it's all fucking, it's just, it's totally random. (laughs) I know what I'm saying sounds like bullshit, and it is bullshit. Like, nothing happened. (laughs) I just got so sick of, like, picking these conversation choices that had no weight, no significance. I was not attached to any of the characters. I don't know why I should have cared about anything. Watching this fucking little car on a rail just putt-putt forward. I was like, this is terrible. This is so terrible. I got so bored. I think I played it for like maybe 20 minutes, 25 minutes, and I'm like, I'm out. Like, I just, this sucks. So <laughs> even for 99 cents, I do not recommend Wheels of Aurelia. I know it got a fair amount of love when it came out. It was, I don't want to say it was an indie darling, but I know that there was more than a few critics in the critics sphere who were like, oh, you should check this out. It's pretty cool. No, it's not. It's not cool. It's like somebody's first game or something. It's like the idea of a game. It needed like another year in development. It needed just way more than what got put into it. I I could not stop it fast enough. I wanted to not be on the Italian coast anymore.
1: It was terrible. <laughs> Corey, are you going to pick this up? Are you going to play this to sound good to you? Uh, no, but you know, this reminds me of... Um I cannot remember the name of it to save my life right now, but there is an indie game on... I think it's on PC. I know it's on PlayStation 4 because I played on PlayStation 4. It's called, like, like, Home Sweet Home or something. Oh, my God. I hope you remember the name of it. All. Yeah, I'm talking it's about, about you it. driving the car, right? Yeah, it's like... The, is it, like, that game? Is it like that? It is like that. It is exactly as stupid
0: as that game is. It's. Not, I know what game you're talking about. It's called, like... Um... A long
1: drive home, or something like that. Oh, that's so, it's something like that. It's so close, yeah. Oh where you're just like
0: a 2D, you're driving, you have to hold down the gas pedal for the yes. entire game.
1: Oh, fuck that
0: game! Oh my god, yeah. This is exactly that game. It's the same thing, except for instead of a 2D view of the car, you've got an isometric view of the car. Otherwise, exact same fucking game. It sucks. Oh, no. It fucking sucks. Yes,
1: yeah. Because I played the other one that I can't remember the name of now, but. I yeah I played like I bought it on PSN sale for like a couple bucks or something like a year ago and yeah it was like the same thing you just hold down the trigger to keep the car going and then you just like it's like her like on the phone with like her mom or something Yeah totally totally And it was so fucking boring. And I was like, why do I have to hold the trigger? Like, why can't I just let it go? Like, my finger was going numb on, like, the right trigger. (laughs) And I was just like, this game is boring. My hand hurts. My finger is numb. And I'm not interested in the characters. I'm not interested in that her talking on the phone about her dad to her mom like it was so fucking boring so exactly
0: fucking exactly dude yes my finger was also going numb it made me angry that you had to hold (laughs) down the trigger the entire game see that's the problem between these two games and the problem with a lot of narrative games i think is that it maybe this means something to the developer maybe but you have to make it mean something to the player the player is not in your head the player is not you They do not have your context. They do not have your experience. It is up to the job of you, the game maker, and more specifically, the writer, to get these ideas and concepts across to your audience in a way which will mean something to them. I mean, as someone who has written two books, I understand the challenge of getting those things across. And as someone who plays a lot of games, I've seen so many game stories. Like, I couldn't even tell you how many. You just, it's not good enough to just write a conversation. It's not good enough to say, these things happen. You have to make it mean something. There has to be a hook. There has to be like intrigue. There has to be some kind of theme that the player will connect with. And Wheels of Aurelia and also, you know, the long drive home or whatever the fuck that one, that game is called. Both are just like these conversations, which don't mean anything to the player. You're just hearing these people have their conversation has nothing to do with you. You can't really affect it. It just is a waste of fucking time and a waste of like of game development time waste of my dollar i mean just a waste of my my muscle strain in my finger yeah no good no good both of these bombs in fact i reviewed that other one i really was angry when i reviewed that one i gave it a pretty harsh review so anyway enough of wheels of aurelia let's get on to what i think is probably going to be the main topic and a very fascinating experience before we talk about the tea room Corey, i'm gonna let you take the lead on this But this would be the time that we give our explicit content warning for parents, kids, household, pets, anybody really sensitive. (laughs) um, This is going to be, I'm guessing, probably pretty sexually explicit. Going to have to deal with uh, homosexual sex and participating in that as a player. Uh, So this is this is your warning. If you do not want to hear about this, then this, you know, look at the timestamps, jump ahead to the end. We've got a little bit left. But otherwise, let's get on with the show. Corey, would you like to talk about
1: the Tea Room? I would actually. I would love. I would love to talk about this game. So I discovered this game because I'm pretty sure I was on Twitter and somebody just like retweeted the fact that the game was out and that it was like free or something. And I don't even know what drew me to it. Maybe it's that it was free, and I was like, oh well, let me just look at it and see like what it is. And the Tea Room is a short form video game, uh, an indie game by a developer named Robert Yang. And it is a, oh man, it is a game that takes place entirely in a men's restroom. It's kind of like, I mean, he calls it a historic bathroom simulator and that's like pretty spot on. Like, it's kind of a gross like men's room. It's got like three toilet stalls and like four or five urinals and you play it's a first person view where you play as um as a, a guy who is just standing at one of the urinals you cannot move around all you do you can pivot in your spot and you can like pivot to look out the window you can pivot to look at the sink or the door or the stalls or whatever but you can't like physically walk around and the game is about uh, you're in the restroom alone and you're in the urinal closest to the window and a car will pull up outside of the restroom. It's almost like an outhouse. Like it's kind of like it's not like a restroom like in a building. It's kind of like its own thing, like like at a camp reservation or something. I thought
0: it was like a, like a rest stop, like when you're driving on the freeway and you pull off and there's just like a bathroom. Kind of, I thought it was like a highway rest stop or something like that.
1: Yeah, it, see, it seems that way. Like, it's just like its own building meant for a restroom. Like, totally, it's not, yeah, yeah like connected Like a freestanding bathroom building. Yes. And you are standing at the urinal and people, like a guy, uh, men will drive up and they will get out of their cars and they will come in and use the restroom, as you do. That's what they're for. Um, but uh, the point of the game is that you... Whenever men enter the restroom, you can sort of, like, initiate, like, sexual interest with them, and you do that by looking at them, basically, by uh, maintaining eye contact with them while they're at the urinal, like, you're in the first urinal and they're in the last one. And if you look over at them at certain times, they will, I mean, there's several different things that could happen. They can either take that as you being interested in them and like, you know, perhaps wanting to initiate some kind of like sex act, or they can not think that they can actually get turned off by that just depending on who it is. And last but not least, uh, they could be a police officer who could try to bust you. Um, and if there is a police officer outside, because sometimes a car, will, a police car will pull up outside, um, you can be busted if you are any in any kind of sex act. But to put the sex act into perspective, um, if you if you look over at a guy while well, he's using the urinal a certain amount of times and he likes it, you like fill up this little like smiley face meter that's like above his head. And the easiest way to fill it up is to look down at his dick. But the game sidesteps dicks by their the what the stand-in for these men's dicks as they're out in the the restroom, their guns. So like Which is fucking hilarious. It it is hilarious. Like I mean, I I mean I, I want to talk about this game a lot, so I'm just trying to like huh, I'm trying to like say things about it. So you're looking, you're looking over at the dude and you know, he gets his dick out, but it's like a gun. And there's different. There's eight different kinds of, of gun dicks, if you will. And <laughs> you, you're trying to uh, see if he's interested. And you're also trying to look out the window. Because the guys always walk up to the urinal on your right side and the windows on your left side. So you're pivoting to make sure that there's not a police car outside. And then you're pivoting back to see if you can get the guy interested in you. And if you look at him and his dick enough, then he will come over to the urinal next to you. And he keeps his gun dick out and you basically get on your knees and you fillet him. You give his giant gun cock a, (laughs) a, like, you start licking it. And, like, there's literally, like, a tongue that comes out on the screen and there's different sensitive points on the gun and you have to aim the mouse at that point and you have to like move the mouse up and down and like start licking like the sensitive part of like the gun dick and then it'll move to a different part of the gun and then you start licking that part and basically you keep doing that until the gun, each person's gun has a different amount of rounds that it holds in the magazine some are really short, it's like 5 and some are like, you know, 50, like there's like a machine gun that holds like 50 rounds and every time, (laughs) every time you move the sensitive spot over by licking it enough, you gain one round in the magazine. And so the object is to basically suck the guy's gun dicks off quickly before the police show up, uh, in order to fill their magazine up all the way. And then once you suck it off enough, the magazine explodes and the guy unleashes his whole uh, shooting. He shoots his gun dick (laughs) off into, into the bathroom. And I mean, it's, like, this game, this game is amazing. Like, it is amazing. And it's it's short, and it's uh, it's incredible. And, uh, Brad, before I get your take on it, I definitely want to talk about the end game stuff, and I want to know your experiences with it. But I want to give a little bit of background info about Robert Yang, because I did not know who, did you know who Robert Yang was going into this, Brad?
0: No, I had heard of him as somebody in the indie scene. I knew basically nothing about him at all. I I think he put out a blog post recently that was not talking about this at all. It was talking about, like, the financial realities of being an indie dev, or something, but that's
1: like as much as I knew. I didn't know anything about him. Okay, yeah, I didn't know anything either. Um, and and so I did some research on him, and I just want to talk about his background a little bit before we move back onto the game, because I think he's, I think uh, he seems to be an incredibly smart guy. Um, seems to be very interested in pushing the boundaries of like censorship, which I think um, I think is a good thing. I'm, I'm very into this whole idea of like you know, like, why do we censor sex if we don't, uh, if we don't censor, like, violence, and that's sort of, like, the thing that he's going after, but he, he's an indie game developer, he lives in New York, he's made about 13 games that I counted on his site, but one of them is, like, an HD remaster bundle of, like, three of his games, uh, most of them are short, most of them don't have a lot of, like, uh, like, breadth to them, if you will, um, he has more than 12,000 followers on Twitter, which is kind of a lot. So he's, you know, he's kind of uh, important, perhaps. Um, his bachelor's is in English literature from Berkeley. He has a master's in fine arts, uh, master's of fine arts in design and technology from the Parsons School of Design. And Parsons in New York is like, it's like a big deal. That's like uh, Tim Gunn, who co-hosts uh, Runway, Project Runway. Like he taught at uh, at Parsons for a long time. Um, People that study there like Mark Jacobs and Tom Ford and Derek Lamb and Isaac Mizrahi and Anna Sui and um, uh, like Rob Zombie, they all uh, taught there. Their alumni are uh, from, from Parsons. Um, he's an associate professor, VR professor at the NYU Game Center. And uh, a lot of his games have heavy sexual themes and a lot of gay sexual themes because he is a gay man and he makes a lot of very gay sexually themed games that sort of celebrate like sex positive culture and look through that like very specifically through a gay man's lens. And some of his games that he's made, he has a game called Cobra Club where you uh, very carefully craft and groom and pose uh, a virtual penis to take dick pics on. And the game is about um, sort of like the culture that exists within uh, you know, showing off our bodies and consent. And I mean, cause the thing that I love about his games is that they all seem ridiculous on the surface, but they actually have a lot of very thoughtful, uh, thoughtful design and thoughtful, um, like statistical research that have gone into, you know, what's under the surface. Like there's a lot going on under the surface of his games that it's not immediately apparent, uh, apparent on the surface, especially if you're not a gay man. Um, he has a game called Succulent that is a music video-esque game where you play as like hunky dudes in their underwear who very, um, uh, they lick like these orange popsicles and it looks very sexual. Um, he has a game called Rinse and, Rinse and Repeat that's like a gay shower simulator um, that looks interesting. Um, I definitely want to play more of his games now that I've played this one. Um, but one of the big things that he talks about and he's written about and that this game uh, addresses, uh, the Tea Room uh, addresses, is that all of his games have been banned on Twitch. You can't broadcast them. They're on the Twitch banned list because most of them have like sexually explicit stuff in them. But he, the reason why he made the, the dudes dicks in the Tea Room guns is because he's sort of pushing back against the idea of like, well, every, you know... X percent of the games on Twitch, you know, they have no problem with, you know, all these games about, you basically people murdering people left and right, but somehow, like, having sex, like, consent, consensual sex, like, they ban that, so he made their dicks into guns, because guns is, like, the only thing that Twitch won't ban, so it was, like, his sort of, like, reaction and his way to try to get around that, and, you know, I kind of pushed back, because he... Because he's tired of having all of his shit banned for no reason. I mean, it's like, I mean, it's like a classic United States case where you know there's so much you know blood and violence and gore and everywhere. But as soon as you start to talk about sex, like people like clam up and it's censored everywhere. I mean, it's the reason why we gave a censorship warning at the very beginning of the show because like it's something that people don't want to talk about, even though sex is is beautiful and it's an everyday thing in people's lives and you know it's it's not uh, harmful if it's consensual and you know, all this kind of stuff, but I, I, that was a lot, a lot of background, so let's get back to talking about Dicks and Brad, I want to know, tell me everything about your experience with this game. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so I, okay, so
0: I didn't know anything about Robert Yang, um, I didn't know anything about the tea room, except for that you were going to play it, and I was like, oh, okay, well, I'll play it too, because I had actually, ironically, we had just been talking about um, getting back on the same page as far as what we were playing, getting more in sync about that, Um, So this was a good one. Interesting. Uh, I'm not averse to sexual content at all. Uh, I'm very open minded when it comes to that. I I feel like I err definitely on the less on on the the less censorship side rather than the more censorship side. And so I started this game up and I didn't really know what it was about, but I figured it out pretty quick. And (laughs) I mean, it's pretty obvious what's going on here. When I when the guy's dick comes out, the first visitor comes in and is dick is a gun. I was like, Oh my God. I mean, it it looks hilarious. It looks hilarious. And the part that you left out was like, it starts out being, well, at least the guy that I saw, his gun starts out being very small, like a pistol. (laughs) And as you keep manipulating the screen, it gets into like this giant, like AK 47. It gets like monstrous proportions. And when the thing fired off, I was like, Oh my God, he's like (laughs) emptying a whole clip into the roof of the bathroom. It's ridiculous. Um, I will say, though, I didn't play very much of it, not because I was averse to the content, but because, uh, well, I mean, I kind of, but it's because I, I kept, I did not want to be playing this when my wife was in the room because <laughs> it was just really embarrassing. Um, I didn't want to have to explain why I was playing this. I didn't want to be playing this with her watching. I just was like, really, like, like, I was that guy in the stall, right? So I'm playing this game and I'm looking over my shoulder, waiting for my wife to come in and I'm like, oh, wait, 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 is she coming? Okay, stop. And then I keep playing it and I look back over my shoulder. And she got me. Okay, stop. Like I'm, I'm the guy looking over <laughs> your shoulder for the cops. Right. So I thought in a way there was that kind of like weird meta experience. So I totally got that. And that was a really an interesting thing. Um, but I just, uh, I, you know, it wouldn't have mattered whether it was gay or straight or whatever. Like I wouldn't be playing this kind of game in general, uh, whether, you know, if it was not gay guys, if it was two chicks or if it was a guy and a chick or whatever, like the, the fact that they were actually, like, the gameplay is about, like, having sex. Like, you're literally, like, licking this guy's dick with your mouse. Like, <laughs> I wouldn't be playing this in general. So that part kind of made me uncomfortable. But I did think it was a really interesting, uh you know, image of, like, this guy's dick being a gun. And like like you said, like, the parallels between sex is not okay, but violence is okay. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, you can watch CSI on TV and see the grossest fucking shit going down and be, see kids being tortured and all this nasty, really offensive stuff but then you can't see like two guys kissing or you can't see two guys in bed or something like that's a real, really hypocritical, really um, contradictory kind of thing. So I thought his approach was really interesting. I was also curious how old he was because I mean, I know um, tons of gay people and I think this kind of experience like the, you know, the bathroom looking over your shoulder being afraid of getting busted Not a lot of people that I know might have had this experience, or if they have, they haven't really talked about it. It kind of made me think of like, you know, like earlier, like in the 70s or maybe the 80s when this kind of stuff, like you'd hear about people getting caught in bathrooms all the time or busted in parks or something. So I wonder if Yang had lived through this possibly, or if there was maybe like more of a historical, I know he says historical in the title, but I was curious to like, like more about the history, like his personal history with this or... You know, just like more of the message, I guess. Um, from a technical standpoint, uh, I will say that I, I thought the production values were really good, but I didn't like playing it because just for me personally, I don't like playing on PC and I hate playing games with a mouse. I am not a mouse and keyboard guy. I don't like doing it at all. And so like having to move the mouth and the tongue up and down with the mouse was really fucking irritating. <laughs> I really didn't like it. And there was a I was like, God, fuck, we, can I just push a button or something? This fucking sucks. Like, I don't want to keep moving my mouse up and down uh, it, it kind of skeeved me out a little bit to be moving my mouse that much. So, uh, it was interesting though. I, 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 would be very curious to hear more. So Corey, what else did you, what else did you get from this experience?
1: Well, um, I actually can address a couple of things, um, that will answer some of your questions about the game, because, uh, I, I don't know how old Robert Yang is, but based on his <clears throat> pictures, uh, like his like profile pictures and stuff that I've seen online and like on his bio, he looks like, I don't know, maybe like mid thirties or something like that. Um, so not, not terribly old, but um, but I, I do think that the experience of um, just in general of having sort of like a gay intimate experience and constantly having to look over your shoulder is very relevant for, for anyone, um, any gay person, uh, you know, just sort of like seeing it through that lens. Because like as a gay man, I never quite, I never feel safe really, like in the world. And I don't feel safe like showing affection for another man, like in public. It's just one of those things where like you know i like you're always looking over your shoulder like you always think that there's going to be some some dude out there that's going to like punch you in the face if you know you like kiss your partner in public or something like that and and uh but but the the other thing that i want to talk about is that um as far as the historical nature of the game goes um i was playing it and Um, I got, I got kind of mad because I, the point of the game is to collect all of, all of the gun dicks. Like every time you successfully perform fellatio on one of the guy's gun dicks and he shoots his bullets all over the, uh, the bathroom stall, um, you, you like unlock the gun. And then the point is to get all eight of them. And I was like three guns in and I was like, there was like a dude in the stall and I was like looking over my shoulder and a police car pulled up outside. And I was like, okay, maybe we can like do this real quick. And I'm sitting there like trying to like frantically suck this dude off in the bathroom. And then the police come in and bust me. And if the police bust you mid uh, fellatio, the game is over and you lose all of your progress. And I was like three guns in and I was like, son of a bitch. And I got kind of mad. And then I was like, okay, well, it's only eight guns. Like, let me, let me try this again. Let me see if I can, you know, do this right. And so there I found myself in the bathroom again, uh, frantically looking over one shoulder to make sure the police aren't outside while trying to maintain sexy eye contact with the dude at the end of the urinal. And then trying to like frantically, like the the mouse movement that you mentioned is, it is absurd, but is, uh, is so great. Cause you're like literally like moving the mouse up and down, like as quickly as you can, like trying to like folate, like the sensitive point on the guy's like gun dick. And then you like move down to like, the base of the gun dick, and then you, like, move up to the tip, and then you're, like, trying to, like, hit all the right spots, and it's it's so, like, apt. And I felt so ridiculous, like, uh, and in my, like, uh, sitting at my desk with the computer, like, frantically moving that mouse up and down and, like, trying to, like, get it in the right spots, and... But, I mean, hey, that's, like, the gay sex experience. And, and, uh... But when you finish the game and you get all the eight gun dicks unlocked, um, you uh, you move to, you can move to the epilogue, quote unquote, and it takes you over to the bathroom mirror. And it actually turns out that there was a hidden camera in the bathroom mirror that was filming the whole thing. And this game is actually based on a real life case, uh, in Mansfield, Ohio from 1962. And the game flat out tells you that it starts in 1962 whenever you start the game where the police conducted a two-month-long sting operation uh, in the, a bathroom outhouse like this in Ohio, and they arrested 38 men who were there um, over a two-month-long process and uh, arrested them all for sodomy, essentially, and that carried a minimum of a one-year sentence. Uh, and I didn't research it 100% to see if like all the 38 men ended up serving uh, a year or more. Um, but basically the police built a room inside the bathroom with a two-way mirror in, in the, by the sink, and they filmed these men that were trying to find a safe space, that were trying to find a place in the world where they could really, um, you know... I mean, it's, it's not just about the sex. It's not about getting, you know, a blowy in the bathroom. It's about being in a place where you feel comfortable and being able to express yourself around other men and being able to be intimate with other men And then the police are literally in the room with you filming through a two-way mirror and then, you know, performing the sting operation. So this was a real thing that really happened. And, I mean, it was 1962, so it was a long time ago. But uh, so it's one of those games where, like, I played it and I felt ridiculous and I didn't really know where it was going. But I was, like, laughing and cringing and it was really silly. And then once I saw this, it shows you some of the footage from, like, the police archives and stuff about it. And I was just like, wow, this is really, like, it just really made me think about the game in a whole different light. And I feel like it's part of me doing my, like, due diligence as a gay man of, like, learning more about about gay history and about, like, where we come from. Because there's a certain point when you get past certain um, sort of, like, plateaus of oppression where you feel a little bit safer. I mean, it's happening in the United States right now. This is why we have a resurgence of Nazis, because all of the people in the United States, or most of them who are Nazis, seem to have forgotten how things went the last time there was a you know surge of Nazis. And because we didn't live through that, it's hard to remember how difficult it was and what became of it. And I feel like this game makes me want to do more research into... You know, the background of hardships of gay people and historical and like the Berlin Wall and stuff like that, because I grew up, of course, always feeling oppressed because I'm gay, but not nearly as much as the generations did before me. And it, you know, it was just eye opening and, you know, touching and kind of disgusting. And um, yeah, it just like it has all these layers going on underneath that you don't immediately get from sucking off gun dicks in a bathroom in a video game.
0: Wow, that's really interesting. I had no idea about the history of that, or that this was a real thing at all. I mean, I think that definitely puts the game into um, a new light. I mean, I I didn't play through it all the way uh, because, like I said, I didn't really want to explain to my wife why I was playing this. But uh, yeah, I mean, I yeah, that's that's really fascinating. And I I totally get what you're saying. I mean, not being gay myself, I mean, of course, I can't identify with everything that's going on in this game. But I can certainly understand about you know feeling oppressed or feeling like. Not having a safe space. I mean, many of my friends, very close friends, actually have gone through stuff like this. So, I can I can sympathize, if not uh, identify. So, yeah. I mean, I'm glad that this game exists. I uh, I I paid the five bucks suggested donation. I didn't get it for free, and I'm glad that I paid the five bucks. I think it was worth it, as a very interesting kind of um, examination or something definitely off the beaten path. And now that you've like added that extra bit of history, I think it makes it even more compelling. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think it's a, a really interesting thing to do. I, you know, certainly not going to be everybody's cup of tea. I mean, even for the fact that like, even just doing the, the sexual acts as abstracted as they are was kind of outside of my comfort zone, but, um, I'm glad that stuff like this exists and I'm glad that, uh, Mr. Yang is doing what he's doing and I'm all for having more, uh, experiences like this, not less. So even though it's not exactly my cup of tea, I'm glad that I checked it out. Um, and it, yeah, it's definitely made me think
1: about some things for sure. For sure. If you had told, like, if your wife had walked in on you playing that, all you would have had to do was been like, hey, Corey told me to play this for the show, and she would have been like, okay, that's fine, honey. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Uh-huh. She'd be like, "Uh uh-huh. Okay.
0: I want to hear that episode when you're done.
1: (laughs) You should tell her to play it.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah, maybe I will. I was just like, it's so impossible. I mean it's so impossible to find time to play something in general, let alone something inappropriate. So like it would have to be like when my son was asleep, because I'm certainly not going to explain that to him at this stage, Mr. Eight years old and curious about everything. So maybe <laughs> when he's older, uh, maybe I'll run a buyer. We'll see. I don't know. I don't know. I'm, no promises on that one, dude. We'll, we'll see what happens. Um, I don't have a lot more to say other than I'm glad that we talked about it. I thought
1: it was a really interesting game for sure. Any, any wrap up thoughts on the tea room? Uh, not a lot other than, I mean, I also paid, I threw five bucks at Robert Yang for this too. Um, so I appreciate the fact that these are the kind of like short indie games that, that make me envy a lot of PC, uh, PC gamers. Cause like this game is definitely basic enough for me to play. I've got a MacBook air. That's like, Five or six years old, and I could play it on on here, which I think is great, but I mean the indie games like this are never ever ever come to consoles, and I really like indie games like this where they're just short and they're sweet and they have um they're very experimental in different ways, but the fact that it has so many layers of you know um historical information and you know c- sort of opens a door to to me and to other people about, you know, what, what this game sort of means for people in like gay culture and in society. Um, I, I just, I, I love this. I applaud it. And I sincerely hope, cause it, it would be very possible that Robert Yang could be like a total jerk in real life. And I've never met him. And I really hope he's not like that. Cause you know, sometimes indie game developers are very pretentious and very out Don't, up there don't meet ass, your heroes, but,
0: man. Don't meet the people you yeah. admire. Don't do I it. I mean,
1: he he doesn't seem to be that way because re- I read through some of his blog posts earlier and just seeing like his, hit the realm of games that he creates. He doesn't seem like, you know, like that kind of jerk or anything, but I just really appreciate that he is around and that he's making games like this. And uh, there's just so much more going on under the surface that is not immediately apparent just from playing it. But uh, yeah, this is... Uh, I mean, this is probably going to be like on my top 10 list at the end of the year, I'm sure.
0: Right on, right on. And yeah, I definitely, uh, I am definitely a fan of these interesting outside the box, short to the point, uh, you know, having a message kind of indie games. I was happy to pay five bucks. I think it was well worth it. And I wish that, um, I mean, there's a a ton of stuff out there, but it's really hard to separate the wheat from the chaff. And so I find myself being really hesitant to take uh, a risk on some games because, I really don't want to get like somebody's My First Game Jam released for five bucks or something and get like, you know, really a subpar experience. But this is not that. This is excellent. If you are into the subject matter, I would definitely recommend it. Even if you're not, check it out just to get a taste of what else is out there. I think it's really interesting. And I, I, I agree. I wish um, I spent more time on small indies like this. I used to, but not anymore. Maybe I should get back into it because it did really kind of inspire me to check out what else is out there. So um, we are running pretty long. We should go ahead and move on to the other segments of the show. We've got some questions from superfan Jeroen. Hopefully he's, uh, back by now if he's following <laughs> the timestamps, but, uh, before we get to his questions, just a couple really, really, really quick check-ins. Uh, we were kind of light on games, like breadth of games. I think we went kind of deep on T-Room, but, uh, usually we have at least one or two more games to talk about. Not this week. Cause like I said, I had a bunch of birthday parties on my in-laws, so I didn't have a lot of free time. So just a really quick check-in. I was hoping to be done with Neo by now, and I'm sure the listeners are fucking sick of hearing me talk about it. <laughs> this game is really long, though, and I think I'm only one or two levels away from the end, but what happened was I got to a level that was really maze-like. It was kind of like this haunted house, and I could not find a save point. Usually the save points are very generous. They come up really frequently, and like being, uh, like being far from a save point has not really been an issue in the whole game. But I got to this one, and people had warned me that this was kind of uh, was not a great level. So I got into it and it's a really long level, lots of enemies, and I just could not find a save point, which means if you can't find a save point, you can't refresh your items, you can't save your progress, you can't uh, restore your magic spells. And so it becomes like this giant battle of attrition. I saw save points, but I couldn't get to them. I couldn't figure out how to make it there. And so I ended up searching and searching. I got about three quarters of the way through the level, and then I needed to go and talk to my in-laws, so I put the game into suspend mode. Uh, yeah, never fucking do that with a game that has any kind of online features, because when I came back, the data was fucking corrupted. So I didn't lose my entire save file, but all the time I had spent on that one particular level was in the toilet, and I had to do it all again. And I was really close to uh, like just stopping, because I was getting really frustrated. So I went, did it again. Couldn't still couldn't find the same points. I even watched people on YouTube try to get to it and I couldn't figure out how they were doing it. I was clearly missing something obvious. I don't know what went wrong, but I couldn't figure it out. Kept going, kept going, kept going. Thought I found a save room and it ended up being the boss of the level. And I was like, oh my God, if I fucking die right here, I am fucking quitting this game. Luckily I beat the boss. And so I ended up finishing the whole level without even ever saving once. Uh, but it was kind of like a minor miracle. Uh, if I had died right there, I think I would have quit the game because I was really that frustrated. So <laughs> that took a really long time. I spent like, like three hours total on that one level, which shouldn't have taken that long. Uh, and I meant to get it done this weekend, but you know, like I said, not free time. Uh, the other thing, I'm still working on Cryptarch. I actually like it more. The more I play Cryptarch, the more I like it. This is the um, exploring a Space Hulk roguelike game. But it is kind of buggy, and I was on a really good run. I felt like I was going to get it done. And I hit this level where there was obviously stuff that was wrong. Um, In the game, you have to deactivate shield generators in order to destroy your target. And when I got to this level, there was a target that was encased by a shield generator, but there was nothing to shoot. Like, there was no generator to destroy to get rid of the shield. It was just a shield. And with no way to destroy it, I couldn't finish the level and had to quit. So... Lost all my progress there, had to start all the way over, and that was also really, really frustrating. So I like that game a lot, although I do think it's a little bit buggy. Um, I've seen some other bugs pop up, not nearly as catastrophic as that one, but there's been some buggy shit for sure. Um, I'm a little bit gun shy now because I don't want to spend all this time if it's going to bug out and I'm not going to be able to finish again, but I really like it a lot and hopefully I will be able to wrap it up, but um, yeah, we'll see. So that's my updates on those. I will be playing some more stuff this week. I promise I will have fresh stuff to talk about next week. Corey, let's do a really, really fast
1: wrap up on Perception for you. Let's get to Q&A and then we'll bring this sucker home. Let's do it. Um, God, I don't even know what to say about Perception. So I finished it and it... I guess spoiler, spoiler warning, because I want, I want you to tell me everything. Spoiler warning for oh, Perception. Oh, everything. Okay, spoiler, so... Just, just, just
0: the ending. Just tell me the important bits.
1: Okay, so okay, it took me a little while to understand what the point of perception was, because you play as a woman named Cassie and you've been having like dreams and visions about this mansion, and the beginning of the game you go to the mansion, and this is the game, uh, if anybody missed me talking about it before, where you are you blind. It's the first person shooter you play as a blind woman and you have like a tapping cane and it kind of sets off an echolocation thing. Um, maybe she got some of the dolphin genes that let her use twenty percent of her brain Oh, or maybe she's a twenty percent Johansson and she... this <laughs> or something. Um, but was, was that, the, was that the
0: twist? You actually are Scarlett Johansson.
1: <laughs> yeah. And you actually take a plane and your body starts dissolving in the bathroom of the plane, like it does in the movie. And you get to change your hair color in the middle of it for no reason. Um, no, that is not what happens. Um, you are, uh, you, you get to the house and you have that echolocation and there's like something in the house that like might or might not be stalking you based on how much you tap your cane around to look around. And, um, it, it, basically what happens is you start going back in time. Like, you get through the house once, and you get to, like, one of the items from her dream. It's, like, a tree or something, or a rope or some bullshit. And and you get transported back to, like, like a World War II era thing, and you, like, kind of re-explore the house, but it has, like, different boundaries, and there's, like, a different narrative going on. Because there's, like uh, like, audio logs and stuff, and there's, like, a different narrative going on for this time period. And basically, you just keep going back to different time periods. I think there's, like, four of them where uh, it basically kind of, you kind of go through the history of who lived in the house before it and try to figure out like what's going on with the house. And of course it turns out that there's like some curse on the house and, um, and it like links back to her in some way. And, uh, and you like break the curse by like burning something in the house. And it's just like, not that good. Like it started off with a really interesting premise it started getting intense once the game let me know that there was, like, an entity in the house that might be, like, hunting me or might be, like, you know, sort of, like, around the corner. But because you can't see anything in the game unless you tap your cane, you don't really, like, know where the presence is. But the story just, like... I just don't like the story. Like, the the writing isn't great. The voice acting isn't great. Like, the there's kind of, like, weird plot holes everywhere. Like she has a phone in the game and there's a really cool mechanic where she uses a thing where if she, like if she finds like a piece of paper, the game will prompt you to like take a picture of the piece of paper with their phone. And she uses, like, there's, like, a text-to-speech app where she takes a picture of the paper, and it'll, like, read back what's on the paper, which is really neat. And there's another thing where um, it does, like, a live user thing where if she takes a picture of, like, a chalkboard or something, it'll connect her with somebody from the app, and they basically look at the picture, and they, like, read to her what's in front of her, which is, it's actually a really neat twist. I, I like that about the game a lot because there's, like, a guy named Nick who she constantly keeps connecting to, who's, like, reading back this stuff for her, um, but she just keeps getting in, like, these weird situations, and, like, keeps talking, like, even though she's moving back in time periods in this house, she keeps talking to this guy, Nick, like, over the app, and it's, like, like, I don't understand why she doesn't just, like, leave, or why, like, because at one point, he's, he says something to her, like, oh, do you need me to call the police? Like, this situation looks dicey. He, like, asks her if she's at, like, a carnival or something, And I just wanted to be like, yeah, call the police. Like, get me out (laughs) of here. Because, like, I mean, it's just like not interesting. And, like, every once in a while, Cassie's boyfriend will call her. I think it's her boyfriend. His name is Serge. And he, like, he, he, and she'll be like, oh, I, and he's like, oh, I'm coming. I'll be there. Like, you know, just, I'm getting on my flight or whatever. And she's like, no, I need to do this alone. And it's like really bad writing. And, And, and he, he like never gets there, but I wanted to just be like, okay, I'll wait off front for you. And then we can like leave because it's just like, like walking around a game and not being able to see anything is about as fun as it sounds. And by that, I mean, not very, and it just like, I don't know. It's just like, like no, it's just like not that good. Like I wanted to like this game. But it's just not there for me. Like, the story is not interesting. The layers of the story didn't add up to be anything interesting. And, I mean, the main character is annoying. One thing that I forgot to mention about this game that I adore, and this is going to be the biggest backhanded compliment I've ever given the game on the show before, but at the very beginning of the game, and you can do this at any point in the game, you can actually go into the options menu and select if you want her, Cassie, the main character, to talk more or talk less during the game and that's I, an option that's actually yeah an option? yes yes that's weird um, that,
0: that sounds kind of like rude almost like I, like it, yeah
1: it does and whenever i first started the game i turned her uh, her speech all the way on because like i i mean i'm a game reviewer like i need to listen to her speech if i'm going to evaluate it i have to hear what she's going to say i wasn't just going to turn it off um because it's kind of one of those things because i have a problem with this in a lot of games where like like the uncharted or tomb raiders um where like Nathan Drake or Laura Croft like won't shut their fucking mouths over the course of the game and it just gets really annoying because that's how video game writers think that you characterize video games now is just by making them talk a lot and talk about everything they see and you know talk about how if you're in Tomb Raider like there's an enemy in front of you and having Laura Croft say oh I need to hide like out loud while the enemy's right in front of you and it doesn't have any effect on the enemy in front of you and they should be able to to hear it and it's just like so I actually like the idea of being able to basically tell her to shut up in the game because her, her voice acting is not great. The writing is not great. And at a certain point, I went into the options menu and just uh, turned her voice down because you, you if you turn it off, it means that she only speaks during like important plot points. And I did that because like she just talks a lot and it's not interesting. And it doesn't make any sense because when she talks, her voice does not create echolocation in the house and... What do you, what the fuck do you, does your voice do? It makes noise and it's supposed to make echolocation. So, like, you're tapping your cane around and it's making, it's giving you the sound wave vision and it's attracting uh, the presence that's in the house if you tap too much. But if she talks, it makes no sound wave vision. It doesn't attract the presence and it just adds up to making like no sense at all. And I did not come out of that game liking it very much, to say the least, if you didn't get that from, you know, the five minute rant I just went on. (laughs)
0: Wow. Uh, Man, I don't even know what to even make of that. I mean, I was kind of hoping there would be a neat twist to the end because the premise, I mean, sounded okay. And even though um, apparently there are, I guess, blind people who can do echolocation as one of our dear listeners pointed out to us (laughs) over Twitter, I don't think that's a very common thing. And so, I mean, that seemed like an interesting idea, but what you're describing just sounds kind of like a jumbled mess. I mean, just what was your takeaway at the end? Did you just, you just felt like just really bored and nothing, uh, nothing really came together. I mean, was there even like a, a
1: hook other than just discovering that there's this curse at all or what? I mean, not really. Like the game just play. It like puts its cards on the table way too early and it makes the game seem way too long because basically the hook of the game is like, you have that location and you have to tap to see things But that's, like, it. Like, you don't, like, evolve your echolocation. You don't get any other, like, special abilities. And it's not, I mean, you don't, it's not like you need to get special abilities, but it's, like, there's just, like, nothing else. The game just seems way too long. And it, it just, like, plays its hand early, and it's too long. And I think it was about, like, five to six hours long, if I remember correctly. And that doesn't seem very long, but, like... I I think I would have been happy if it had been about half as long because you just play more and it's just more of the same walking around in the Mm. darkness and tapping your cane and there's just not really a whole lot of interesting stuff that happens and I didn't really care a whole lot about any of the characters that were part of the backstories for the house and the manor. I mean, there's one... Uh there's one female character who like lived in the house and like her husband went away to like World War 1 or World War 2 and the her whole plot thread is that she's trying to like prove to these different agencies that they need to send her over there because she knows how to fight and they all turn her down because she's a woman and that plot thread is interesting but like everything else is just like not really that interesting and it's just walking around in the dark and it's not really that fun and it's too long and I Man, I I wanted to like this game, but it just didn't make it for me.
0: Well, that's a shame. That's a shame. Um, I know it was a first effort from a new studio, but I believe those people in the studio had a pretty good pedigree. I guess I'm a little bit surprised to hear that it didn't come together better, but we can look forward to your complete review at GameCritics.com. Can we not?
1: We can, certainly. I uh, need to stop dragging ass and actually start writing it pretty soon. Well, I will let you take care of your own ass then. And
0: you can just let me know how that goes. <clears throat> all, right, all right. We are in the home stretch. But before we wrap this week, we did have some questions from Superfan Jaroon. Um, I think I wrote these down in the wrong order. And I had to edit some of these for length because they were pretty long. But we will hit them all. Also, hello to Dex and Ben. Hopefully, your dad has jumped ahead thanks to those handy timestamps. You missed all the naughty stuff, and now we're on to just talking about your dad, who's a great guy. Uh, I will read the question, and you want to answer first, Corey? That worked for you?
1: Uh, yeah, sure. Let's do that.
0: All right, cool. First question from Jerun. Talking about gameplay, I heard and read about your uh, your praise for Darksiders, a game which focused on gameplay. Would you still recommend the first Darksiders? And also, did you like Darksiders 2 that much? Would you recommend those games? And, Corey, did you play them? Corey, Darksiders 1 and or 2, what are your thoughts?
1: Did not play them, so I cannot offer any insight here.
0: Oh, swing and a miss. Okay, I have played both of those then. Darksiders number one, I liked a lot. It's very much Mm -hmm. like a 3D Zelda, but like kind of goth and post-apocalyptic and big swords and muscly dudes, (laughs) and it's cool. Um, I thought it was very good. It takes obvious inspirations from many other games like Portal and Legend of Zelda and a few other things, Uh, but it's well put together. It looks good. It's fun to play. I think Darksiders number one is a great game. I do recommend it. Um, I do not recommend Darksiders 2. It seemed like the developers saw the success of the first game and decided to make everything bigger. The levels are bigger. The world is bigger. There's this new, like, really, really um, overdone loot system, which is just, like, choking with, like, unnecessary items and a lot of busy work. You can equip, like, a different piece of armor on every single part of your body, and it just ends up being more hassle than you really want to deal with. So I do not like Darksiders 2, but I do like Darksiders 1, and that's where I stand on those. Uh, next question. Jarune says, I own a Raspberry Pi 3, and I'm considering to use this as an SNES emulator. Uh, what are the three best games of the Nintendo uh, older game catalog that are still fun to play today? Could you each please both name three different games? So six titles total. Drew being very specific there. (laughs) Man knows what he wants. Uh, He says this may be a better option than to buy a uh, classic and it might be a fun way to introduce his kids to playing games or maybe they'll just watch him play. Uh, Corey, what? Damn it. Wait a minute. I wrote these things down. I wrote down my answers and I don't see them here. Shit. What are my answers? All right, you you talk while I try to recover my answers. Go ahead.
1: <laughs> okay. Um, I I actually had a pretty hard time with this question because during the SNES era, I was more of like a Sega Genesis guy. So, and this is like really digging for me. Like I had to look up like some lists of Super Nintendo games to try to find ones that are recommended. Um, because even if they were good then, there's no guarantee that they're still good now because I haven't played any of these games in like, I don't know, like 20 years. So, but I came up with a few that I think slash hope would be good, but do not, um, take the, take these with a grain of salt, I should say, because I was more of a Genesis guy and these are probably, I'm just probably going to name off some games that are like, would be like the usual ones that you would hear. So my first one that you cannot go wrong with is Super Mario All-Stars because it has, Basically, all of the NES Super Mario games in it, and Super Mario 2 is my favorite in particular. Um, I do think those games age well because they are just side scrolling Mario games. I mean, I feel like those, you know, that's what people think of when they think of classic Mario games. And I think that has three or four Mario games in it, um, maybe more. I obviously, you can tell I did a lot of research for this question. but I, I would recommend Super Mario All-Stars. I'm sure it holds up. Uh, Super Mario 2 is amazing. You get to play as Princess Peach if you want to. And her little dress makes her jump farther than everybody else. So that that is why I always played as her, and she's great. Um, the other, uh, something else I would recommend is Super Metroid. And this is kind of a weird one for me to recommend, because I actually haven't played this game, but I own it on my Wii U. I have not played it, um, but this is like the end-all be-all Metroid experience, according to basically everybody who's played Metroid games. So I feel like I'm safe recommending it because this is like the one that everybody goes to for the best Metroid experience. I hope that it holds up well. Um, I don't know if it would be great for kids because it's a little more action-oriented and it might be a little more difficult. I'm not sure. Um, my last answer, I do have a backup answer, a fourth one. So sorry, Jordan, but you're getting more than uh, more than three probably from both of us. Um, My next one is kind of a left fielder. It's uh, X-Men Mutant Apocalypse. And this is a side-scrolling X-Men sort of beat-em-up, shoot-em-up kind of game. And you get to play through different levels as different members of X-Men. There's like Cyclops and there's Psylocke and there's Gambit and uh, Beast and uh, I think one or two other, Wolverine for sure. Um, And you basically, they each have their own uh, 2D side-scrolling levels and you play through and you basically just like beat up Uh, Sentinel dudes and work your way through this island to get to the center of it. I can't remember what's going on at the center of the island, but I remember that being really fun. I think the Genesis X-Men games are better. X-Men 2 Clone Wars is amazing on the Sega Genesis, but we're not talking about the Sega Genesis now, so I'd recommend that. Um, A couple of bonus mentions would be Super Castlevania 4. Um, I love Castlevania, um, when it comes to Metroid and Castlevania, I'm a Castlevania guy, which is weird, because in everything else, I'm always a sci-fi guy, but there's just something about Castlevania that I love, and Super Castlevania 4, I remember it being fun, uh, hopefully it is still fun, it's basically, like, a, a remake of the first Castlevania on NES, um, maybe you could consider it, like, the original HD remake, maybe the first one ever, um. And also I feel like people would say Zelda a Link to the Past. I have never... I've only played like two Zelda games in my life and I've never beaten any of them because I am a bad uh, video game person. But I Link to the Past is what I feel like a lot of people would consider the best uh, Super Nintendo game of all time. So maybe that... Um... Brad, those are my answers. Did I uh, give you enough time to come up with your answers?
0: You did. I actually had a different window open and my notes were on the wrong page. So that was my bad. Uh, really rookie mistake there. But I got my notes together. <laughs> I do want to second your recommendation of Super Castlevania Four. I really liked that one a lot back in the day. Um, had a lot of like mode seven scrolling and a lot of weird cool effects that were not seen in other games at the time. Probably looks ancient as hell these days, but I thought it was <laughs> a pretty fun thing to play. Uh, so I definitely recommend that. And my picks are kind of off the beaten path. I figured that Jeroen could, you know, see what was the most popular if you go to, you know, message boards or Reddit or ask your friends. I mean, I think probably a lot of the common ones will pop up. So I tried to pick some that were a little bit, uh, unusual. Uh, so Super Castlevania 4, I don't see a lot of mention of. Uh, Kirby's Dream Course, which is where you play golf with Kirby. Kirby is the ball. And you try to, uh, you know, you play golf as normal, but then Kirby can also do a lot of different powers. You pick up powers as you go. So like if you hit a really bad shot and your ball is going too far, Kirby can turn into like spiky Kirby and he'll totally stop rolling because the spikes will catch the grass. Or if you are trying to go up a hill and you don't have enough uh, drive on your ball, he can turn into like a fireball and he can like shoot himself up up the hill and get to the hole. Or if you have a ball that goes high above the hole and it's too high up. He can turn it into a rock and like sink straight down in the hole. It's an awesome game. I love Kirby's Dream Course so much and I don't see a lot of people mentioning it. I think it's probably one of the best Kirby games ever. And I do believe it is, I think it's on the SNES Classic, which is unfortunate since
1: they're only making four of those. But Corey, have you ever played <laughs> Kirby's Dream Course? Did you ever play that? No, I don't think I've ever played a Kirby game in my life. Now that I think about oh, it. Oh wow! Okay, so I don't
0: recommend all of them, but I think <laughs> Kirby's Dream Course is really awesome. It's really fun. So good times. Um, I want to also call up to Sim Ant. This oh, one...
1: Sim Ant. Did you... Oh. Okay, you like it? You like Sim Ant? How did, did? I forget this game? Oh my God, Sim! Ah, oh, Sim Ant is so good. Okay, you you talk about it, but it's so good. Okay, right on. Yeah, I
0: love this one. When I was a kid, I just thought it was so fascinating being able to like dig the ant hill and having all these ants like going back and forth and like collecting food and oh my god something about it was just like so rad i just loved it so much and i bet uh Drew and your kids would probably like to watch this one i think this would be very kid appropriate very friendly they could grasp it very easily um i dig SimAnt quite a bit now cory you seem like you like it too
1: yeah i had completely forgotten about it until you mentioned it but i used to play this with my brother all the time and there's a point where you get in a level and you're in you're an ant in the house and you have to like watch out for like footsteps all over the house because they can squash you. Oh my god, Sim Ant is that game is good at times. Yeah, that game is the shit, dude. I really like Sim Ant a lot. I had a blast with
0: it. It's one of the ones I never owned, but I rented, and I rented it like a lot. Like I would go to Blockbuster, <laughs> rent it for like a month in a row. I love Sim Ant. And finally the last one um, is Act Razor. Uh, so this one has a little, a uh, little bit of a fan base. Um, although I'm surprised that they haven't really done a lot with it. This was one where you were like a God character. You had a, like a, like a, I don't know, like a Sim City mode where you like built up these cities. You could like clear land and build a town, but whenever there was trouble in the town, you could go down onto earth as a character. And then you fought like in a 2d side-scrolling action game. So whenever monsters showed up in your town, you went down to kill them. Once you kill their asses, you went back up to heaven and you like continued with the Sim aspect. I thought that was brilliant. I thought it was so great. I love that game so much. Um, they made a sequel, which was not nearly as good. It really focused too much on the platforming and it, it was really hard. It kind of missed like the good balance that the first Actraiser had. Uh, but that is one that I would certainly recommend. I don't know if it holds up, but I loved it back in
1: the day. Did you ever play Actraiser, Corey? I have no clue what this game is, so I definitely really? never played it, yeah.
0: Wow, I'm surprised. Like, when that game was out, it was really popular at that time. It seemed like everybody in my circle was really playing it pretty hardcore, so I'm surprised you haven't heard of it. But yeah, so there you go. Uh, Corey's picks, my picks. Jerune, hopefully that has gotten you pointed in the right direction. Moving on to your next question. Uh, Jerune says, don't you sometimes think that we, we in quotes, or our generation, are growing out of games? Let me explain. I feel that in the earlier days, from the 2600 to around the PlayStation 2, the Focus was way more gameplay driven. Then from PS3 onwards, I started to see more interactive movie type games or lots of QTEs. I hear you guys talking about lots of games lately with little enthusiasm, and personally I experienced the same. Sometimes when a gem like Brothers or Limbo comes around, uh, I think those are great, but I feel games from the older times were just more games and more original. Now we get Assassin's Creed 6, GTA 5, and so on. Gameplay seems to be less important. When a game has great gameplay, we seem to embrace it right away. Think of Souls games. Or perhaps, are we just getting too old for this shit? Do you think this <laughs> is coming true?
1: Corey, what do you think? Are we too old for this shit? Um, no, I don't think we're too old for this shit. And I think it's important to to be very specific about how you define the word gameplay. Because it seems like Jerune has a very different definition for gameplay than maybe what I would consider gameplay. Because, I mean, if you look at... I mean, basically... Uh, in my opinion, the most truthful core of gameplay is anytime you're holding the controller and you're doing anything on the controller that has input on the screen, that is gameplay. It might not be, you know, kicking people or slashing your swords or jumping or whatever. It might be, uh, you know, selecting a dialogue option or it might be walking around a house and exploring it, you know, and not, you know, fighting people, but it's gameplay. So it kind of depends on how how you define it. And uh, I don't want to, like pretend that, like, Jeroen is, like, stuck up and is, like, you know, above, you know, gameplay that's not maybe, like, action-oriented or not, like, you know, really, um, you know, not Q-t-u-e- QTE-E or not, like, narrative adventure-E. Um, but it just depends on how you define the gameplay. Like, I don't think we're getting too old for it, but I think that there's definitely, you know, the more video games you play, the more the more of any kind of thing you experience, the less easy it is to impress you. Like, Brad and I, and I'm sure, Drew, and you do the same, where you've played, you know, probably hundreds and hundreds of video games over the course of your life. And at a certain point, I mean, it takes a lot more to impress you. And I mean, like, we're talking about, like, you know, I could play Horizon Zero Dawn for, you know, 50 hours and, you know, explore that whole world and do, like, stealth takedowns on all these, like, giant T-Rex robots. And then I can play a game like T-Room that's about, like cruising in the 1960s in a like bathroom with gay men and I think the tea room is a far superior game to Horizon Zero Dawn so it just depends on like lately my tastes in games have been more about the stuff that's memorable more about the stuff that's different more about the stuff that feels truly unique that's not just about you know, shooting dudes or stabbing dudes or kicking dudes. And I mean, I'm all for action games. Like, you know, I loved Doom last year and that game is like, there's like not a better example of a game that's like pure first-person shooter, like shooting, you know, hell demons and stuff. But it just takes a lot more to impress me. And I mean, if we're on the topic of like, when you say like Assassin's Creed 6 and GTA 5, I mean, uh, franchises are what keep the gaming industry alive because if every video game were a brand new IP... Every development studio would go out of business and nobody would, you know, nobody would make any money. Like the franchises exist in order to make money so that studios can really take, uh, take a chance on a new IP, much like Horizon. I mean, uh, Gorilla it's Gorilla Games, right, Brad? Uh, yes, that's correct. Yeah, Guerrilla, I mean, they've been making fucking Kill Zones for decades and they have finally gotten to a point where either they feel comfortable enough to make a new IP or Sony has let them make a new IP. I'm not really sure which one happened first to where they made Horizon. And I mean, that's just how the gaming industry works. Like, I mean, I don't want to be that guy that's like, oh, it's just the way the system is. And that's how it'll always be. Because I mean, we have plenty of indie studios that are making different things. But um, I mean, it's hard to stay enthusiastic when you play... A new game that you have to talk about every week. And it's not, it's just not impressive. But whenever you play such like a a breadth of games over the course of your life, it just takes a lot more to really stand out from the crowd to me.
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, that was kind of be that was going to be the that was kind of be Jesus Christ. (laughs) I need more coffee. Um, Yeah, that was kind of my take on it. I mean, I hear what Jeroen is saying. But I think a lot of that is tied into how old we are and how many games we played. I mean, I don't know about you guys. Corey, I know you've played a lot of games. I'm sure Jeroen has also. But like, you know, I kind of keep a list of games that I have uh, spent time with. And um, just taking a quick look at it, like I personally have like completed, I mean, I haven't updated my list in a while, but I've probably completed like probably more than 1,200 games. And that, that's not counting the games I've started and didn't like or started and didn't finish or started and, and will come back to. Um, that's a shitload of games. I mean, I don't even know how many. I mean, that's like years worth of my life. And just like with anything, I mean, just like with books, just like with food, just like with music, the more you take in of a certain thing, the more refined your tastes get because you start to see patterns, you start to see repetition, you start to understand the basic structure and form of whatever it is you're digesting. And you know, like you said, Corey, it takes uh, more and more to impress you because you started you start to see things over and over and over. So. Um, you know, we may sound like we're not really like loving on a lot of games lately, and you know, I apologize for that. I mean, I know that sometimes people, when they tune into a podcast, they don't want to hear guys just shit talking all the time. <laughs> hopefully, we don't do that all the time. I mean, I hopefully we have a good balance. Um, but I think that in general, I mean, I are some pretty seasoned guys, and I don't say that to brag, but it's just a fact that when you play a large number of games you know, you're going to want to start finding new experiences like the tea room. We both thought the tea room was a great experience. That's something that's pretty far outside the wheelhouse for most average players, I would guess. But because we've been around, we've seen and done so many things like that really brings something new to the table for us. Um, So I don't think it's necessarily that we're too old for this shit. I think we're probably too old for the same old stuff. Like if somebody puts um, a platformer in front of me and it's basically just like another Mario clone, I guarantee that's not going to impress me. Or for example, uh, I was talking to a developer today via email And he was really looking for someone to review his game. It looks just like Limbo. Like, I mean, I can't even count how many Limbo clones I've played since Limbo has come out or how many I've seen. And, you know, it's like Limbo was amazing when it first came out, but I've done Limbo and I've done a couple other games that are just like Limbo. So like the next time a Limbo like comes out, it's not interesting anymore. And it's not like those games are necessarily bad or that I'm too old for that shit. But it's like, if I've done this game already, I don't want to do it again. I'm looking for a new experience. I mean, burgers are great, but you don't want to eat a burger three times a day for a week. Like You would start to get sick of burgers, and that's kind of how it is for people <laughs> like us who play a lot of games. I mean, I play a lot of games as editor. I just play a lot of games in general, and I play even more games to try to have fresh content to talk about on this podcast. I mean, the res- the task of playing something new every week, in addition to what I want to play just in general, is immense. I mean, I don't know if people really understand like how much time that takes, especially when you factor in like uh, kids and a family and a job and other responsibilities. So, you know, it really takes something to stand out. We are not easily impressed. But then again, I think that's why you come to critics. I mean, you go to a critic because these are people who have developed their taste. They know a lot about the genre. They know a lot about the industry. They know a lot about the history. You know, you come to these people like us, hopefully, and or maybe other people, if not us, who know about these things and are very knowledgeable and they can give you a deeper insight. They can give you um, a wider, wider spectrum of opinions. Um, so, I think that's really all it is. I mean, I'm not a fan of GTA because, like you said, there's five of them so far. I'm certainly not a fan of Assassin's Creed. Uh, I don't think either Corey or I are really into sequels because I think we kind of just have different tastes. Um, Not that that's necessarily better or worse, but if you come to our show and you come to Game Critics, you're going to get people who are maybe looking for newer richer, more interesting things. And I think that's really all it is. I don't think I'm ever going to be too old for games. I don't think I'm ever going to stop playing games. Um, so I I mean, Corey, do you think you're ever going to just like stop playing games?
1: I really hope not. I mean, if I don't have games to play, then what else am I going to do with my life? Am I going to have to watch movies or have to read books? Huh? I can't do that. I have to have games, Brad. God, fuck that. That sounds terrible. (laughs) God. (laughs) Yeah,
0: I don't think, I don't think it's, we're just growing out of it. I don't think anything's wrong with games. I think you just, you know, your tastes change after a while. It's like when you're a kid. When you're a kid, somebody gives you like a piece of sourdough bread, you're like, fuck this bread. I want a Twinkie. But like, you know, when you turn 40, you're like, oh, this is a really nice piece of sourdough. The crust is not too hard. And the the grinding of the wheat is really nice. Like, it's still the same fucking piece of bread, but your tastes have changed, you know? I mean, that's really all it is. Like, sourdough is shit when you're a kid, and it's great when you're 40. So anyway... Uh, last, uh, last, last bit from Jeroen here. Not a question, but a comment. Jeroen says, uh, the show where you talked about the swearing. Oh, so just as context, Jeroen was asking if we could tone down the swearing because he listens to the podcast in the car with his kids, which is great. And thank you for exposing our nonsense to your children. Hopefully they're not oh, too corrupted. Uh, but as a parent myself, I, I get what he's saying about, you know, he felt like we we're going a little bit overboard with the swearing asked us to tone it down. Uh, he says, in that particular show, you guys hardly did it, so it can be done. Too bad it only lasted for one show. <laughs> but I did feel the overall swearing is a little less, so good stuff. Well, thank you, Jeroen. Uh, we do try our best. Uh, but like we said in the past, uh, this is not specifically a family-friendly show. I mean, I think, we, do we even have the adult content on our show? sticker? On, have- uh,
1: on I, I know on iTunes podcast, there's a little E for explicit on it. But I don't, like, SoundCloud doesn't have, like, a... A marker for explicit content, so I can't do anything there, but I did. It is marked explicit on iTunes, but I don't know if that translates anywhere else.
0: Okay. Well, anyway, I mean, you know, this is not really a show for kids, so we can't really cut the swearing. This is just our natural mode of speech, but we're glad that you enjoyed the one episode that we were able to rate it in. <laughs> Sorry oh, it didn't boy. continue, and hopefully it hasn't been too bad. Hopefully, please pay attention to those timestamps. I would hate for your kids to listen to the entire thing all the way through, but. There we go. That's the last comment from Drew, and I think the end of our show. Whew, long one tonight. Before we go, we'd like to remind you you can send us your comments, thoughts, feedback, ideas, anything else you'd like to. Send it to us. So Video at gmail.com. We are also on Twitter as a collective show at So Video Games. Also, you can reach us individually. Uh, Corey, what's your Twitter handle, sir?
1: My Twitter handle is my first and last name. It is Corey Motley, C-O-R-E-Y-M-O-T-L-E-Y.
0: And my Twitter handle is my name, Brad Galloway, B-R-A-D-G-A-L-L-A-W-A-Y. And with that, that'll bring us to the end of another So Video Games. We will see you next week. Hope you enjoyed the show. I know I did. Uh, Corey, did you enjoy the show tonight?
1: Yeah, this is like, I mean, we talked about... (laughs) We talked about lots of gay sex stuff. So, I mean, of course I enjoyed it. All right. That's a win. That's definitely a win. All right, folks. We will see you next week, probably
0: with fewer gun dicks, but uh, more of us, I guess. (laughs) And in the meantime, this is bye from Brad.
1: (laughs) And bye from Corey. We will see you guys next week.